нашого народу і нашої держави. І я як президент, і як верховний головнокомандувач хочу подякувати кожного з вас. Your fight is our fight. Ваша боротьба це наша боротьба. 2017 will be the year of offense. Рік 2017 рік буде ріком нападу. All of us will go back to Washington and we will push the case against Russia. Ми всі повернемося до Вашингтону і ми будемо відстоювати санкції проти Росії. Enough of a Russian aggression. It is time for them to pay a heavier price. Our fight is not with the Russian people, but with Putin. Our promise to you is to take your cause to Washington. Inform the American people of your bravery. Проінформуємо американський народ про вашу відважність. І покажемо про докази проти Путіна у всьому світу. Я вірю в те, що ви виграєте, переможете. Я переконаний в тому, що ви переможете. І ми вам допоможемо всіма можливими засобами. And we have succeeded not because of equipment, but because of your courage. Ви успішні не через обладнання, але через вашу відважність. He will succeed in other countries. Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Saturday, February 26, 2022, and I've got a great show for you today. i got a special guest joining me to discuss everything we're going to go over in the Daily Wrap-Up today, somebody that you're be, you've been looking forward to seeing, somebody that hasn't been on the show in a while, and that is Whitney Webb here to discuss Ukraine. And, and what's going on there. We're going to talk about the history a little bit that we've discussed on the show already, The what's driven this into reality, as I put in the title, and just some of the nuance there that's not getting discussed by some of the independent and a lot and all of the mainstream media. We're also going to talk about COVID-19 and some interesting new studies, something in regard to liver uh, indu- vaccine-induced liver failure. We'll also talk about the insurance company discussion that's been circulating quite a bit and whether or not your insurance company has a right to say, well, we're not going to give you insurance if you've had a COVID vaccine and whether or not you think that's justified. And we'll also talk about a couple of other important things therein. But thank you as always for joining me, Whitney. It's great to see you with your little one. Great to yeah. have you. I'm, I'm here with special guest little man. We'll see how uh, <laughs> long he lets me uh, participate in the daily wrap up, but he's right. been pretty good today, you know? Well, so well, truth, well, truth or hopefully, in the making. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's, he's more interested in other things than, than truth, I guess, right now, since he's uh, two months old and uh, can't even talk. So, <laughs> uh, but he's on his way, I guess. Good. Well, you know, the music you play in the background, whatever else has an effect. So you're going to get that information in his head right now. No, it's, it's, it's great to have you back on, Whitney. It's been a while and I'm sure everybody's very excited to see you. And I, I just want to hear your thoughts on a lot of things. So it's good to have you on the show again. All right. Thanks. It's, it's good to be back. Yeah. Well, this Ukraine situation is obviously very, very interesting and very consuming. And for those that have been following my show, I've been stressing from the beginning. And this is the same kind of thing with COVID-19 where, and, and, and hopefully those remember since I wasn't able to get to a show the last couple of days, what we were saying in the beginning, which is essentially at no point were we ever suggesting that this wouldn't possibly lead to some kind of action, which clearly it did. It's simply that this has been an illusion. It's been a psychological operation, regardless of what's happening now from the very beginning. And I feel like I've proven that. And I feel a lot of people have, but it still, it seems to have driven to action. So I'd like to talk about that today and get your thoughts on why and what's happening. And we'll talk about the nuance, which I think is really important. You know, the side of this that's not being seen, even if everything the West is saying about Putin is true. But before we get there to that discussion, I'd like to start off with you today about you know, the history around this or something that people should know by now, but really just start off with your thoughts or maybe just give me your understanding of, let's just say, you know, 2014, because right now there's a huge issue around that. Really just put it this way, that the mainstream isn't even regarding that the, the whole yeah. idea of change in 2014 is irrelevant, that him being controlled or the government being controlled or influenced by U.S. doesn't have any influence on what's happening now. Give me your thoughts on that and, and how, what you know, what that went and how we are today and how that plays a factor on it. Yeah. Well, I think it's really amazing that some people seem to only have a history when it comes to the, like a memory about this conflict of like a week long, uh, you know, this is something that's been going on for like close to eight years. Um, uh, what happened in, in 2014? In to the current situation. Oh like, yeah. In, in terms of commenting yeah, about what's happening important. right now, that's true for both mainstream media and some people in independent media as well that seem to think, you know, only what's happened in the, in the past week is worth commenting on. Um, and things are never that way. And I think people in independent media, you know, should know better, especially people coming at this from an, an anti-imperialist uh, angle, because, you know, this is uh, the events in 2014 were fundamentally an effort to expand U.S. empire. Um, uh, I think it's pretty well documented at this point, the extensive involvement of people like uh, John McCain or uh, Victoria Newland, uh, wife of neocon uh I don't know. I don't want to. I probably shouldn't swear. I have a baby. But neocon overlord Robert Kagan. That's her husband. Uh, who used to, is the one that we play that clip of, right? That's the one from nine. The one that said "fuck the EU" and then was going around like handing handing bread out and uh, after the coup and trying to do all this like soft spin propaganda stuff. But was in, part of the the State Department under the Obama administration when. Uh, the coup took place and uh, uh, a lot of the specifics of the coup I wrote about when I worked at Mint Press. So it's been a couple of years, uh, but obviously those facts haven't changed. And I think a really good overview of that can be found in a Robbie Martin's documentary series, a very heavy agenda goes into the history of the neocons and how the neocons, despite being Republican played a huge role in what happened in 2014. 
alongside the neo oops sorry alongside the neoliberals you know like uh victoria newland and all of these guys in the obama administration and of course it's worth pointing out too and this hasn't gotten a lot of play uh from what i've seen uh, obviously biden president now was vice president when uh the 2014 events took place and of course there's been a lot of controversy around the involvements of him and his son in post-coup uh ukraine uh, business dealings and things like that. And people were talking about it during the election, his conflict of interest with the uh, Ukraine, right? Uh, and how that would impact things. And here we are with a major conflict and it's somehow being uh, left out by, by major parties. The fact that the president has that sort of um, potential likely <laughs> uh, conflict of interest there, but there's a lot to say. I mean, this is like eight years of history essentially. And I'm, you know, this is um, essentially what happened there, but basically um, the, the guy that was removed in the coup had been elected and the parliament at the time had supported this uh, to not join NATO and to uh, mend ties with Russia. Uh, and then he was booted out in this coup and uh, generally uh, far right leaning forces that were pro uh, EU, I guess, were put in um, or at least anti-Russia at the, at the very least. And some of them were, you know, overtly neo-Nazi. Uh, the head of the uh, much talked about Azov battalion became a member of parliament, uh, for example. And I think uh, either very the first important. president or the prime minister, I forget which one, had more or less overt ties to to Naziist uh, forces. Um, and it's, really you know, important point right there. They, they've done a lot of work recently to try to make this seem like some, Oh, just one volunteer battalion over here on the side. And even oh, if that's no, true, no, no, no. They with the national guard, with the yes. interior of the ministry. Like, and, They've been funded with money from the U.S. I think it was only a, a, a couple of years ago, not very long ago at all, um, that the U.S. Congress uh, passed a bill like banning direct funding of the U.S. government to Azov Battalion. Right. Uh, there were several years where U.S. money essentially went directly uh, to them. And they've also been armed by Israel, the Nazi group armed directly by right. uh, <laughs> the they state of Israel. Um, but, you know, I mean if you... Huh? I made the point that just that, that to your point there, that even when they were directly funding them after they pretended to stop, it's the same as anything else. They still funded Ukraine, which still funded the Azov Battalion. So it doesn't change. or re 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 no, 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 no. It became indirect after that law. Right. Exactly. But then they kind of, yeah. um, you know, uh, it, it was too glaring of a, you know. An, a, a too glaring of an issue with the narrative they were trying to spin there. These are the good guys. Oh, wait, the Nazis. Right. Let's not talk well, about them. Well, I want to talk about the, that whole topic in, in particular, but since you brought it up, I want your take on this because I, maybe you can give the audience some, some more new uh, context to this video because you just referenced this. And this is a part of the story that just seems to be, like you said, even from the independent media being ignored in regard to Biden's administration and the previous actions of Ukraine, whether 2014 or just the like stealing of money, which is the same thing we're seeing from Venezuela and so on. So let me just play the, this uh, clip. I'm sure you'll recognize it. It's the former government of Ukraine speaking out about Biden and the money they stole. Добрый день, уважаемые коллеги. Сегодняшняя пресс-конференция посвящена новым фактам разоблачения международной коррупции и внешнего управления Украины. Финансов США по подаче сенаторов из Демократической партии. Они очень не хотели, чтобы мы обнародовали то, что мы сегодня опубликуем. Но от пресс-конференции мы не отказались. It says we uh, basically that they uh, let's see. I'll find the part where it talks about what they're revealing here. 
witness testimony. They presented a whole bunch of information that they stole billions of dollars from Ukrainian citizens and that ultimately it was the Biden family that was directly responsible. Yeah, well, so, I've heard I, sort of the compare. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, no, I was trying I, to find where the, the titles say that little delay there. No worries. Keep keep going. What were you going to say? All right. That? Well, I was just going to say uh, really quickly that the comparison I've heard is, you know, what the Clintons were for Haiti, the Bidens have been for Ukraine. <laughs> right. right. Um, and that's pretty telling, I think. I mean, imagine if this was going on with Haiti and Hillary was the president and people would be like, wait a second. I mean, I feel like they wouldn't say something anyway, but they haven't really so much with with Biden. Uh, maybe some on, on the Republican, you know, right leaning side in U.S. politics, but I haven't seen a lot of mentioning of that. And I think it should be pretty. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Biden's obviously a corrupt piece of shit. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, I think what, for, what's funny is people first, I played this recently. I, I had I should have it queued up, but I'll, I'll include this in the show notes. It's very this is familiar information. I mean, they they he directly accuses the Biden family of being involved. But what I think for anybody that's partisan may take, you know, be either happy or unhappy about what you just said. But the reality is we need to start being grownups about this and realizing that all of these people in every position on all sides of our political scheme are corrupt to some degree. That's how you, right. you can't play this game without being corrupt today. You know, and I think that's become very clear. <laughs> but anyway, since so the, just give us your background in general on, you know, what we're talking about here. What what did the Biden family? What, what's the allegation coming from the previous government? Do you remember the history there of the Biden uh, family? Uh, not specifically, but I know that it's been uh, it, it, it was a big uh, issue with like uh, people talking about Hunter Biden in the election and stuff. But uh, mm -hmm. sorry, I have mom brain. I can't remember it oh, all, no but, <laughs> um, but I, I think it's like Burisma or something like that. One of the gas companies and there's some other stuff there as well. Um, but I'm sure that's pretty easy to find, though. It's probably going to be coming mostly from right leaning sites because, you know, left, right paradigm. You only report on on one of the bad guys. <laughs> exactly. Um, that's so infuriating. But, you know, the point is simply to lay to lay the connection there that it's, it's so from the clip that we play in the beginning which was after 2017, you know, and this is around 2014 when this is happening. The point is they're saying that their Biden family specifically was involved with siphoning off money from this government. We saw they're putting in place a group that they're clearly throwing at Russia in 2017, and that's not relevant to where we are today. And like, I just find that childish. You know what I mean? Like, that's not even being discussed mm -hmm. because how dare you suggest they would be part of this? You know, it's, it's like that this idea that they're inherently altruistic as they're being, being caught for crimes left and right. It just blows my mind. Not to do, go ahead. Yeah, well, basically, um, w what I would take out of that is that it, it seems more than likely that Biden uh, has a vested interest in keeping the uh, current uh, government of Ukraine in power, regardless of what could happen uh, to potentially remove them. They have a vested interest in that um, not happening. Uh, yeah. To some degree, uh, because, you know, a, another group that would come in that would be against the existing status quo in Ukraine may may publish more information, you know, that's complicated for the Biden family. Um, so, you know, it really should at least be be mentioned. I mean, whatever you want to analysis, you want to draw from that, you know, say whatever you want. But yeah, well, it's, it's kind of odd that it's been relatively omitted. Yeah, at the very least, it's some conflict of interest. I mean, if you have, you have financial interest involved, but you know, so the other part of this, and I did a bunch of shows on this already. This one was called "Hype Lies and Psyops: How the False yeah. Black Ukraine Narrative Was Bungled," and this was right in the beginning. Now, that's another thing to think about, by the way, since we're on this topic. What happened to the false flag? Right, this whole screaming effort, hand waving push about they're going to fire in a false flag with crisis actors, and then what happened? Very clearly, took action, which we'll get to, and and did something. 
So what ultimately was the false flag? Well, it seems like all the stuff that was happening beforehand or rather the Ukrainian actions. And ultimately, they just took very clear action on its face. Like, it just makes you realize that. So was that all narrative? Was it all lies? Did they're claiming that he changed because they called him out for it? Like, it just seems ridiculous, doesn't it? Well, I think what may have happened there is that you have groups like the CIA telling Biden it's going to happen, it's going to happen, and then it doesn't happen for whatever reason. If they wanted it to happen, then maybe they tried to provoke it by other means, which I would argue was uh, Ukrainian President Zelensky going to the Munich Security Conference and implying that Ukraine would look how to be a nuclear power, according to Putin. That's why uh, that was the last straw, supposedly. And I think it's pretty clear that the U.S., Ukraine's current government, and probably the EU and, and other parties uh, allied with them uh, know pretty much what Russia's red lines were with respect to Ukraine. And so the potential additions of of nukes in, in, in the mix uh, in, it, it, on top of this sort of volatile situation that the things in, in the Donbass were escalate, escalating and all of this uh, could have been enough to force his hand. And they knew that. And then at, at one of, I guess one of the benefits for the CIA here is that now that Russia uh, did do something, they can be like, look, see our intelligence really does work. Exactly. Uh, God, right. that's one of the parts that kills me about this. It's like they <sighs> shoot people or, you know, whatever they, they poke and poke and poke and poke. And then when they finally react, they go, Oh, there it is. You know, they did it. They started yeah. it. You know? And, you know, people like Matt Taibbi, who are rightfully distrustful of the CIA, uh, had to apologize for not believing the CIA, <laughs> essentially, and be like, oh, I said well, they weren't going to invade Ukraine. And, uh, you know, and, but that, I mean, I think... Problem. That's the problem with the mainstream argument today, or really the mainstream reporting, even the quasi-independence. It's not about whether or not this, like, it's, it wasn't about whether or not Russia invades, or it's about the context and the nuance around, did they even invade? Were they driven to take action? Was it, was it justified? I mean, like, hey, I mean well, instance, we've redefined but, vaccine and all of this right. other stuff in the past year, so why not redefine invasion, Ryan? It's not Good that point. much... Good point. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, think about it like this. Like this, I was talking about this with somebody earlier, and then I, because I want to get into, you know, what whether it's just, what, it, you know, action being taken and whether he was driven to it, justifiable nuance there. But I want to get, I want to talk about Crimea again as well. But the interesting part about this is just for a quick sidestep. Let's just say Putin pushes into Ukraine, and let's say he takes out Zelensky, right, in in flagrant fashion. Yeah, the now, CIA is going to make an insurgency. That's what they're going to do. Well, we'll yeah. think about it. And, and it, obviously, that would be used in exponential, obvious ways to frame them as a villain. But think about it for a second. Right now, we do know for sure that this is a government that was put in place by the U.S. that's done bad mm -hmm. things. doesn't mean that Russia hasn't done bad things. We know that Donbass has been attacked and, and there's a white supremacist government in in Ukraine that's doing bad things. They don't res respect their culture. And well, so the whole government in Ukraine isn't white supremacist, but they're essentially openly allied with them. And those right. white supremacist forces are in uh, fighting in these contested areas uh, that are mostly ethnically Russian. And they think ethnic Russians are subhumans. Um, right. And uh, some of the people in that Nazi camp think they should all be murdered. I.e., you know, have genocide committed against them. Uh, right. Others think they should be treated to second class citizens, but still it's uh, that's bad. And it's bad to have them uh, fighting against people. They think yourself. I mean, obviously, the, the, you know, um, it just shows how selective the, Oh, the Nazis uh, narrative is. 
nuts when it comes to mainstream media. Oh, all Trump supporters are Nazis. Everyone that went in the Capitol on January 6th is an evil Nazi. Everyone that uh, partook in the trucker convoy in Canada and donated to them are are Nazis. Uh, But don't worry about the, you know, provable Nazis (laughs) in Ukraine. Uh, We should support. And and uh, the hand signals and like openly standing there. You know, it's those guys. It's right. the it's the sub- sur- secretive Nazis. Yeah. We should worry oh, about that hat, the wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Who screams? I'm not a Nazi, but he really is. You know, it's like <laughs> that's <laughs> it's silly. But my my point was, if you could see that logical conclusion, and, and that is a good nuance, by the way. That's a, a good point to make. I I shouldn't be as as broad with when saying that. I'm just quick point. Is well, it's easy to get passionate about it. I totally understand. Yeah, right. It is. Well, it's because your point is if they're working alongside them, at the very least, they're completely okay with that being. Well, they're complicit in that sense. Yeah. National, uh, the the interior of the ministry, the National Guard. I mean, these these are the government. I mean, this is, this is, anyway, the, the point though is that let's just say hypothetically they went in and Putin took out Zelensky and he frames it as we're literally taking out a villain, a really bad person murdering people over here. Is that not exactly what the US government has done with Saddam Hussein? with Osama bin Laden. Like, why is it when they say it's okay that that's a justifiable action? There's people in the world that thought that wasn't the right thing to do, right? So it all comes down to narrative, like you were saying, because Putin, bad guy, therefore, when he does something, even if you can argue he's doing it for right reasons, is going to be terrorism. Well, the narrative is that Putin is literally Hitler. Right. (laughs) Uh, And look, he's annexing Ukraine, like uh, uh, Germany annexed Poland, and this is the beginning of World War III, and and all of that. And I don't think it's really uh, fair to say Putin is uh, the same as, as Hitler. Um, oh, not and, even remotely. I mean, I, yeah. I think all of these governments are very concerning government and, and presidents and leaders. I mean, these people are, are mostly authoritarians in my opinion, but that doesn't mean that they're always doing bad things and always doing what you think, you know, it, it's all about objectivity and, and nuance, you know? So let's do this. Let, let's skip the Crimea. I think Crimea conversation is it's ridiculous. And I think we all should know by now that it's very easily provable that these people voted to be, to move it, to be taken over, to be right. At the, at the very least, the contention with Crimea should be over. Was the referendum legitimate or not instead of, but, but that's not even what the talking point is. It's like, um, you know, it's legitimate that, uh, Putin took Crimea and, and they're not even like talking that there was a referendum. The referendum has been omitted. Um, they want it to sound like a blunt invasion and that's exactly what they're doing today. There's more to this. Yeah, of course. I mean, there always is. Right. Um, but mainstream media doesn't cover it. And it, it, I, I just find it kind of odd that independent media has, has also sort of seemingly dropped the ball on this stuff. Um, it's not surprising to me. It seems like, COVID well, so, all over so, again. yeah, but some of these people before COVID knew what was what in Ukraine, but I guess, yeah, I don't I know. Yeah. We're in advanced brain worm, uh, uh, hole making. <laughs> I don't even know what this, what well, to call it. It's I, not good. I think I people's think brains are mush at this point. Um, yeah, I think that's what, <laughs> I think what happened with COVID is it kind of put people over the edge, and now they know where their marching orders are coming from, or whatever it is. Like you're right. I've seen people that you would have moments ago before COVID been a very different stance. That now it's like. I don't know. It's something to shift. Well, I think some of those people that were like pro mainstream COVID narrative realized that they may have lost uh, large segments of their audience that would have been skeptical and are trying maybe possibly, I don't think this is true for all of them, but maybe tailoring their message to who they know their current audience is, since it's obviously uh, changed over the course of the COVID situation. Here's an interesting point that I want to touch on. And then let's get into 
the nuance of whether or not it was justified, like what happened, what led to it. Like, I want to talk about the F-16s that went on 200 miles off the coast of Russia right before all this. But before we get to that, I want to make a quick point about something in the audience or in the, in the chat. So I knew this was going to happen because I, right now we have been pointing at the hollow white supremacy argument of the U.S. government and how they've been using this and applying it to people that aren't right. We've been all over that from day one. And then the moment this happens, I, I if you, let's just say they hadn't listened to the show and they just read the title and it says white supremacy threat in here, they might go, oh, here, Ryan's going over to that argument. But that's not what's happening. Right. There's a very different argument being made here. My point is, I believe the U.S. government is either allowing this for other reasons or, in fact, building the very threat that they're using to frame is happening here. Like, that's all part of the side. Yeah. Well, we left the, Afghanistan. Last point, last point in, the, in the chat. Oh. This was sorry. The long winded point. Here's what I'm getting at. Someone in the chat is saying, sounding a lot like Alex Jones, both of us, because we're talking about the Nazi references. You see what I mean? I knew that would get, and even that's, it's a fair point to, to, to acknowledge, but I hope they can stand back and think about that there's a big difference between hollow Nazi threats just being leveled at anybody and recognizing a real, actual white supremacy ideology being built to be framed as the threat that we are. So go ahead. What are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, okay. Um, Asif Battalion is probably, like, super into Nazism, and there are white supremacist groups, and we, I think we pretty much covered, at least implied anyway, that the way Nazism is portrayed as existing in the U.S., they overblow that threat to a significant degree, and, you know, there's this problem of labeling everyone that doesn't agree with you as a Nazi, um, when that has a very specific meaning, but it has a very specific meaning, and that ends up, you know, getting applied to specific groups, and really, in terms of uh, Nazi-leaning groups with power in the world, uh, I think Azov Battalion is near the top. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what else to <laughs> to say about that. I mean, it, it's pretty provable, and even mainstream media has had to admit Azov Battalion is, like, super Nazi. And the FBI actually had to admit that Azov Battalion was training uh, the uh, white supremacist groups that are actually white supremacist groups in the U.S. were training them, and the U.S. Right. government's funding them. And, you know... Now. Yeah. Well, I, it's I, all, it's all to create. Well, I, I played the video where they, as of the, as the last couple of months, they're already framing. They, it shows U.S. personnel on the ground training civilians alongside the Georgian uh, uh, Legion, I believe, which worked with Craig Lang, who was the very person they're trying to go after. They worked alongside the Azov Battalion. So the simple point is right now there's U.S. personnel on the ground working alongside these people right this moment. I just find that to be ridiculous. They claim there's not boots on the ground. Well, so one of the ways they want to justify the war on domestic terror in the U.S. is to say, and in the Five Eyes countries in general, is to say that there's this global network of white supremacists and they're actively building that. Um, hey, and this is, this is, yeah, this is, this is, uh, the setup. I would argue what's going on in Ukraine right now is going to be used by the CIA and the Five Eyes intelligence agencies as a setup for the, the dangerous phase of the war on domestic terror. Uh, because there's going to be an insurgency in Ukraine after what happens happens. It's very likely that Russia uh, is a bigger military military power than Ukraine. Um, so we can imagine what's going to happen there because NATO is not getting involved. Um, 
And uh, the CIA has pretty much already announced in the Council on Foreign Relations, the CFR's uh, mouthpiece, Foreign Affairs, um, that they're going to be setting up an insurgency. Um, and that's an, uh, that makes sense to me. And uh, the, the fact that they're already, you know, oh, they're passing out weapons to civilians and all of this stuff. They're going to uh, go that route. And then they're going to say, oh, look, this insurgency in Ukraine is spreading to these other countries, just like it was with ISIS, right? So instead exactly. of, so this exactly. is, Ukraine is the next Syria. And they're going to make it that way. And this is a very uh, dangerous issue. Um, and I think people should be paying attention to that. Um, because anytime the CIA arms an insurgency, it's very dangerous, crazy people that they arm. Uh, this is provable. Um, just look at the paramilitary groups the CIA has been arming uh, for decades and decades and decades. They're usually not people, uh, nice people, and they're usually on the far right. And this, this is um, what they're doing yet again. And they're going to use it to go after dissent at home. And if you're, right. you know, accused of supporting that insurgency um, or even potentially supporting uh, Putin and uh, your Russian misinformation, which literally everything that isn't the U.S. Uh, State Department talking line is labeled that they can use that to um, to censor. You know, if you think COVID was bad, just wait for uh, wait for this. I mean, that'll give them the, the hammer to do whatever they want. I agree. I agree completely. And just for the audience, so they know, for those that watch my show every day, I love the fact that Whitney and I haven't connected on this. We haven't talked off air about this. Whitney, that's exactly what I've been saying in the last two shows. I mean, like, oh, really? Days. Yeah. And I'm so <laughs> glad you said that because it, this, this has been, it, it actually kind of percolated in my mind, like while I was on the show and I'm going, I think this is the, the serious setup all over again. Now, it doesn't have to mean that they're going to like invade Ukraine under the guise that they're fighting that threat. It could be because we've seen these things flip. Iraq well, turns on a dime. They're already so there Iraq. training people, people right. from the U.S. So, I mean, they oh, just well, have to maintain that and it's the well, same. Here you go. Here's the, here's the step I just thought of just now. I mean, now that they claim Russia or is Russia is in taking over areas, they're just going to, they're going to say now that's the idea and they're going to use that. I mean, I'm just hy hypothesizing, but my idea here is that Either whether it's the location or just the threat itself, they're doing the same thing they did in Syria. They're building the threat, in arming it, funding it, and then using that as justification to go after. I mean, we can't miss the conversation you and I had from 2020 forward about the white supremacist threat, the 9-11. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is literally exactly what we talked about. I just find yeah. that I'm so glad you said that. So we need to talk about that more in depth as this goes forward, but we can come back to it in general. And the, the, I think that's really the thing to watch here. And uh, really quick, I want to touch on the point that there's uh, been a uh, divisions brewing uh, within independent media about whether this is completely staged or completely not staged. And frankly, that's irrelevant. Um, I think in the sense that uh, this insurgency thing that they're trying to arm is going to kill thousands of people in Ukraine, tens of thousands, right. probably. Um, it's right. going to be horrible. I mean, look what's happened to Syria since 2011 uh, and what the, what the people in Donbass have already suffered for the past seven to eight years. And it's right. going to be even worse for them. Um, that's horrific. Um, and, you know, yes, Putin has weft ties, but uh, that doesn't make those dead civilians in Donbass any, you know, they're still dead. Um, and it, it doesn't make Azov Battalion any less Nazi um, or anything like that. So, um you know, uh, we can definitely see that uh, just like in any historic war, uh, years after the fact, people can look back and say, oh, you know, all wars are bankers wars or this advanced uh, this particular agenda of this transnational group or this globalist group or whatever. And, you know, that tends to be the case because the elite tend to be those that benefit um, from yeah. wars. But we have to keep in mind that the consequences of what's going to happen here um, are going to be very real. 
and, and very horrific for lots of people. And I want to, I want to remind people that unlike, um, what we saw in, in Syria, this is going to be felt a lot more at home uh, for a couple reasons. One is this uh, domestic terror infrastructure they've been setting up. I think they're going to end up linking the two um, yeah, exactly for sure. Like and it's going to be about. like, like, right. But the other thing is that Ukraine and also Russia supply a huge amount of the world's uh, food, particularly grain. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, those, ah, those wheat change. products are going to be uh, cut off. Uh, from major markets, particularly Europe, uh, the price of bread of any wheat product or any derivative of wheat is going to explode hugely. Um, it's gonna it's gonna cause uh, some major crises for sure. Um, and I think people really need to be aware of that as well. And obviously, there's going to be uh, a lot of issues in uh, natural gas markets and uh, oil markets, um, particularly for Europe, but for other other markets there, um, you know, in that in that area of the world, the Middle East, and and so on as well. It's going to get um, pretty complicated. It, it, um, so I, I would encourage people to to study this stuff. One great account to follow on that front specifically um, is Christian Westbrook, who uh, mm-hmm. works under uh, the name Ice Age Farmer. Um, I recommend checking out his stuff as he's following uh, what's happening here with um, with the the war situation and how that's impacting uh, f- the supply chain when it comes to food and, and other things as well. Very interesting connection there. So what what I'd like to add to that though, and I think this is a very important point, and this is what it always comes down to nuance. And what's funny is it's almost like nuance and objectivity today is framed as is like indecision. And that's not the reality, right? There's, there's times when you can make decisions and there's times when there shouldn't be a decision made and you just, you know, remain objective. But my point is I've been saying this from the beginning of all of this is that it does uh, even psychological operations in, in almost usual to usually today lead to real world action, right? It doesn't, there's obviously stuff happening and whether or not it's a, it's a psyop or manipulation, there's people that, that the Ukrainian civilians, the Donbass civilians are still left to take the brunt of this, but to the point right. you're making there, the point that they're making, it's, it, we shouldn't, jump to assume that all of this is absolutely fake or, or that necessarily that Russia and U.S. are working together on some larger plan. We should be able to consider those things, but the evidence does not show us that, in my opinion. We, but we should rec- recognize on top of that, though, that the way this started, I think, shows a huge indication that this was clearly built on nothing from a one-sided agenda. Like, I don't think from the beginning of all this, it seemed, and then we can get into this next, actually, we can segue into that after your comments on this, that there's been bluster and build and hot and hype from the very, for three months about literally nothing. And, and we can get into what I think, why I say nothing. And, and yet then something happened, right? So I think it's pretty clear that that would show you a one-sided effort here to drive action. And I don't think there's a coordinated effort there. Just my gut would tell me, but I'm still open to both sides of that. But it's, it'd be unfair to assume that it's knowing that we're essentially undermining or removing value from what's happened, the, the negative part of what's happening to these civilians. So go ahead. Okay. So in terms of what's happening at the top, I think there may be some sort of shared agenda there potentially on a couple of things, but I think uh, by and large, um, you know, that's not necessarily what's driving this, but I think, you know, the, these forces like the world economic forum and stuff are obviously, obviously going to try and turn some uh, aspects of the situation to their advantage. And I think that's most Always. clear with what's happening with the uh, discussion of Russia being ejected from the SWIFT payment system. Uh, right. That's going to push Russia into their uh, CBDC space that they've already been developing. Um, they have the digital ruble and stuff ready to go. Um, and I think a lot of that infrastructure is going to go uh, probably live as a, and they're going to sell it as a way to uh, get around sanctions. I do want to be pretty clear that Russia um, is all in for the fourth industrial revolution 
There's no tipping around that. Um, it's definitely, right. definitely true, but you can also argue that, um, what they've been sold, uh, by to, or, or how Davos is, uh, the World Economic Forum is selling all of this to them. Uh, they probably sell it to them as appealing to their national interest, um, or at least to, to the interest of their, uh, of their ruling class to a significant degree. And I would say that, you know, uh, what prompted the, the current action in, in, in Ukraine, uh, was, uh, you know, the, the camel, uh, the, the last, uh, what's the, what's the idiom? I don't even straw, remember straw what it is in English. Yeah. Right. The straw that broke the camel's back uh, finally happening after, you know, years of NATO expansion after they w- said they wanted to expand and, you know, going, crossing all the red lines with Ukraine and all of that stuff. Uh, that's obviously going to be perceived as, as Russia acting in its national interest to keep, uh, to tell NATO, you know, stop doing this. Like, we're not going to take that anymore. But I think, you know, well, I think, you know, um, uh, Ian Davis recently wrote about this for my site, um, about how there's sort of this shift from the, uh, what's normally called the in- international rules-based order, uh, mm-hmm. which is a uh, Western hegemony. And essentially, uh, like that Dick Cheney quote, we are history's actors, you know, you're just going to be studying what we're doing, and we make the rules and you have to follow it because we have, you know, all the military power, you know, this was backed by the US and, and the EU and various other countries for a long time. But actually, the Davos crowd wants that to shift and they want to shift it to this multipolar world right. order. And that is something that Russia and China are actively backing. So I think maybe in this case, it, it, you could argue that um, uh, there may be some actors in the West tied to those forces that also are part of that. Uh, push to essentially end U.S. Uh, hegemony uh, to a degree. Um, bec- but ultimately what this multipolar thing is, you know, uh, the idea, and it's promoted by a lot of people in independent media, um, but unfortunately, uh, pretty much all of the actors uh, behind it, including Russia and China and, and Western countries, I mean, they're all moving towards technocracy. Um, right. And I think, you know, you could argue that that technocracy is in the national interest. They view it as in their national interest to control their domestic populations. Uh, but, that you know, I, I think it's uh, pretty clear that I'm against technocracy, um, regardless of what country is instituting it. And having that become the norm on the world stage is is a major uh, threat that needs to be uh, talked about. So um, I think that's sort of the moves that seem to be coordinated sort of on this uh, high up global level. It has to do with um, these moves to technocracy. I mean, pretty much everyone's doing it. Every most countries in the world are, are, you know, aligning themselves with that in this fourth industrial revolution and, and some of these technocratic things. Uh, and I think unfortunately uh, a major war uh, will uh, allow those forces to advance those agendas uh, significantly because um, it, wars uh, often permit governments to just suspend civil liberties in a way uh, that COVID did. And this coming right after COVID is going to be uh, used uh, that way by governments. I mean, this is what states uh, do. And whether you want to say, oh, I prefer this state or this nation state to that nation state. I mean, whatever, but all of the, the big, the big boys, you know, in, in, in terms of nation states, I mean, they're all moving towards technocracy, at least for their domestic populations. Um, right. So, you know, um, well, sounds, <sighs> sorry uh, if that uh, sort of got a little rambling there, but no, I think no, the main great. thing to see is, is going to be how Russia responds to sanctions. I think it's going to be CBDCs or for people that don't know what that is. It's a central bank digital currency which, and every which, co- government in the world is pretty much studying how to do that. 
which right by now. the way, though, again, would, would give credence and at least suggest, which would explain why it seems like a logical thing to ask again, what that, if that's the end result, that's, you could argue, well, this whole seems to have driven that into action, you know? So to some level, you can kind of feel like some of these pieces fall together, whether that's by accident or by yeah. manipulation. But it's I, like, it's, I would argue, question. yeah, but I would argue here that it's, it's the West that pushed this knowing mm -hmm. that Russia would have to act at some point. And, that's a good um, point. and, and, and that's, they tried to do that in know. Syria too. You know, they tried to push, 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 uh, to get, uh, you know, uh, Syria to, to actively just like, you know, try and blow up us positions or get Russia to do it in Syria. I mean, this sort of brinksmanship on the U.S.'s part has been going on for a long time with respect to Russia or Russia backed governments. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, the whole situation in Ukraine, they've been moving, moving to do that. And I think that's right. pretty clear, um, from the past couple of weeks for people that have at least been, you know, watching that <laughs> play out. But then again, like I said earlier, um, a lot of people seem to have very short term memories when it comes to commenting on this, um, on this situation. Exactly. Yeah, mm -hmm. I agree. I, I want I forgot. I wanted to read this one part about the sense we kind of went on, we went over the Azov battalion and, and the, and the tie there, this, this, and then, we'll, and then we'll get into, uh, well, there's more the than just them. I, I want to make that clear. You know, right. there's other parties involved in, in the new government uh, or mm -hmm. post-2014 government and stuff that are. Well, have I think we made that clear from what mm -hmm. we said. And my audience is oh, should right. know by now as well. Because we showed that. So my point in showing that battalion is, is from 2014 is when that was really discussed and focused. And since right. then, as you made clear, it's broadened out to the interior of the ministry, to the National Guard. That's yeah. why when I say just generally the government, that's it's not every single aspect, but it is. It's immersed. Or the top down. And so th this, what I want to show lastly on this point, this is from January of this year, right? Ooh, and what's, cra what's crazy to me is what they're, first of all, trying to frame this as a 9-11, right? After 1-6, that's kind of yeah. the idea. They're talking about how Ukraine's war is drawing the, everything to the right, which is weird because at the same time, they don't want you to really think about how they're backing this against Russia, right? But they're set simultaneously trying to build the threat. This is why what I think you said is exactly spot on. But here, let me read just a couple of parts. I recommend everybody read this entirely. The end of this is really getting in to try to the rousing call about why we're being overtaken by white supremacy. And that's not really what I, my point is. My point is about how it's obvious that they know what this group is. Now, this is an yeah. expert uh, on this topic. He's an investigative journalist, Kuzmenko, who's the lead, one of the leading figures on this topic. And it says since the two. Oh, it says he's Bellingcat, though. Well, he's written for Bellingcat, right? Which, which I, which mm -hmm. we should consider, right? That's de he, that's definitely. A, I, I, I mentioned that on the show, <laughs> a huge issue. But because, well, here's my point, though. This argument yeah. is being used from that propaganda level in in certain ways. It's weird. It's you see what I mean? Like they don't want you to look at both these simultaneously, but they want you to look at both of them. It's interesting. So here's what it says: Since the 2014 Maiden Revolution, which I went over in the show, there's plenty of evidence that shows that that was. U.S. back entities that actually shot people in the square, but that's a different conversation, which created the regime change. It says military and security forces have institutionalized in its ranks, former militias and volunteer battalions linked to neo-Nazi ideology without screening for extremists or views. It basically allows this to grow. And he says he cites as a prominent example what we discussed, the Azov detachment battalion or regiment. Now, it says that they have spread into the interior of the ministry and it says that and the National Guard. And it also points out that he, it, this is the main point, language introduced, as you pointed out, in 2018 shows that the U.S. government, Biden included, were aware that these people were bad, right? Set, pretended not to arm them, even though mm -hmm. it went right around them. And the last point is this Democratic representative, Elisa Slotkin, recently sent a letter to Anthony Blinken saying these people are terrorists, like we should put these people on lists. And their only response was we respect the sovereignty of Ukraine. I, I, isn't that incredible? I mean, so they very clearly know who this is and just don't care.
Well, they're not going to do anything to stop it. What yeah. did what did, that that lady from DHS we talked about in 2020 in February 2020 uh, predicted January 6 before it it happened? Yeah, Elizabeth Newman. She's the one. Uh, that was saying we're That's seeing we're seeing this new 9-11 build up and we can't stop it. The world is changing. Reason. And every counterterrorism professional I speak to in the federal government and overseas feels like we are at the doorstep of a, another 9-11, maybe not something that catastrophic in terms of the visual or the um, uh, the numbers, but that we can see it building and we don't quite know how to how to stop it. I thought yeah. that was the Newman. It's Newman. I was confusing the names. Okay, so that that's an important one because you called this out in 2020, and I swear to God, it's exactly what's happening. Like this whole yeah. thing is panning out now after two years. And I loved how people came out after like two days and said you were wrong. You got it wrong. <laughs> well, okay, so that election special, we said it in oh, the yeah, beginning, right. and people like to forget this that we thought we were going to get censored after the election, and there was all this research. Uh, that that we'd accumulated about things that were going to happen, either the near, short, or medium to long term stuff, mm-hmm. and we were like, "All right, let's just get it all out while we still have a platform." And you were censored after Twitter, like right after then. I wasn't, right. but then we both got kicked off of Patreon, and then you know you were taken off of PayPal. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. it's been ongoing. Yeah, definitely. But so you know, that's a good point to make, though, is that we were just being we were theoretically analyzing this and and and, and definitely a lot of it has come to pass. But let, let's step into the next part of this, because I know I don't I don't want to yeah, your time could become limited. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's talk about this next well, a couple of these articles I went through after this. You're being played with the Ukraine narrative and the one after that. Oh, this is one actually from you that you were referencing a moment ago. Frustrated in Syria, U.S. turns to Ukraine again for its next pro- pro- yes. pro- gambit. I did, uh, my point, first of all, was to talk about the timeline buildup, right? So let's get into that a little bit and, and how, for instance, a lot of people don't know these things, that the U.S. government was holding drills in Ukraine with NATO allies um, before the uh, the big jump of this whole narrative, before Russia carried out drills in their own territory. And even before that, brought F-16s 200 miles off the coast of Russia on a uh, Shaman Island, I believe, on the other side of the landmass. You know, and why aren't those things provocations? What are your thoughts of that? Um, well, so the whole NATO situation with Russia, obviously anything like that is going to be viewed as a provocation by uh, Russia. But they, you know, uh, have been pretty, uh, I guess, I, I think over the past eight years, uh, you know, if you're looking at this at the nation state level only, uh, pretty pretty patient in terms of why they didn't uh, do anything. But I think it's also has to do with the fact they didn't have any um, alternative uh, really to sanction set up the way they do now. And they knew that would have been the most likely consequence. Um, what's happening now uh, with the sanctions they're announcing, uh, that was always going to be the thing at the end of the day, because NATO wasn't going to get involved to protect uh, Ukraine, like an article five, uh, like Ukraine can't invoke article five of NATO. Right. Um, and they're, they, they can't really have them join NATO. They can just pretend and put NATO infrastructure there because having Ukraine join NATO is basically, you know, Russia pretty much has said for a while, that that's a recipe for, uh, <laughs> uh, war with them. So they're trying to do all this stuff short of war to like poke, you know, and, right. Uh, and undermine and all of that. So that's essentially, um, I think, what's what they've been doing for a long time. And this was just the latest one. But I think they just went too far this time. Um, because, uh, you, I mean, you have, um, uh, well, from what I understand, what th- that statement at the Munich Security Conference about, you know, looking into uh, reacquiring, uh, new, or at least it was interpreted that way by by Putin. I forget the exact quote from 
Zelensky, but it's something like we're going to look into why we abandoned our nuclear stockpiles or something like that. Um, and he uh, and, right. and some other stuff. And then this was apparently taken by Putin as a, we're going to look into how to pursue uh, nuclear weapons. But, you know, in terms of like the nation state level of this, I think it's helpful to explain with a metaphor. I mean, imagine if this was Russia doing this in Mexico on the U.S. southern border or something exactly. like that. Exactly. Um you know, and then uh, the two provinces of Mexico where a lot of white, you know, Americans live or something or gringos live, right, uh, starts to be under attack by a new far right government that wants to uh, eliminate all gringos from the country or something like that. You know what I mean? I mean, that's more or less uh, that's obviously not happening in Mexico. OK, for crazy people listening that want to twist no. this. But, you know, it's like a thought experiment. Like, wh- how long would the U.S. tolerate that situation? You know right. what I mean? So and this is something going on in, in Russia's border and uh, the fighting in the Donbass is directly on the Ukraine-Russia border. So it's been causing problems on that border for almost right. eight years now. That's, that's the craziest part to me. is And so to, to make this quick to, to people to understand, if you've watched my shows, you've already heard this. The idea is that this started, well, first of all, this is actually, I shouldn't say started because as you've made clear, this goes long before this. This has been building forever. The Donbass back well, since and Since 91, really. Well, yeah. The separatist discussion, eight years, has been going on specifically, Mm -hmm. and there's been shelling back and forth. As I understand it, like almost every day for eight years. That's why I was laughing when all of a sudden the Ukrainians were like, oh, we're being shelled, we're running to bomb shelters. And it's like, you mean like every other day for the last eight years straight? Like They make it sound like they just got attacked when it was just a continuation. But here's where I feel this was like a good point to start at. This is Forbes reporting in, uh, this was October 2021, that the U.S. government put F-16s on the 200 miles off the coast of Russia. Like it, that's incredible to me. And then from there, October, we go to November. Oh, excuse me, September. So even before so, uh, September 1st, Ukraine holds military drills with us forces, NATO allies inside Ukraine. So for those who don't remember, we're talking literally on the border of Russia. So you have us on the other side of the world with other us forces, with other NATO allies and Ukraine carrying out flagrant drills. Then they send, uh, uh, planes right off the coast and then for those that don't you know hear only the western press then we have russia russia carrying out drills this is what they're claim framing it as they're about to attack but in november i believe i had the other one up there too but in any case they're they're they basically said we're going to carry out these drills they announced it even tass announced it they said we're ahead of time we're going to do this and then they frame all of that as preparing to attack like and and the point was it ended up happening so could have been of course they could have but where well, so give me your thoughts mm-hmm. on this well i think um this is my opinion i think uh, a case can be made that the uh forces in the western governments uh wanted to provoke this situation yeah. and right. you could are you i think it could potentially have to do something to do with the failing covid narrative because they've had to roll back a lot of covid measures specifically in in nato countries that's where all those rollbacks have really been happening um in NATO countries and in Europe, really. Um, and, you know, that's because of public pushback. Um, so, you know, oh, how convenient, uh, you know, there's this talk of war and all of this stuff to distract everyone uh, yeah. from demanding accountability for that or letting um, that pushback continue. Um you know, so maybe those uh, some forces in the West needed wanted this to happen. Um because it seems that way, like I said, I think Russia uh, over the past several years in both Ukraine and Syria and other places has been really clear about what would provoke them. And, you know, they've always gone around and, and tried to do just below that, you know, poking at them. 
Um, and, you know, they uh, appeared to have crossed a red line and it was really, you know, th- this is them, I think, pushing Zelensky to do that. Because remember, Zelensky, uh, when he was elected, I think 2019 was the election. His platform was like, oh, I'm going to make uh, play nice with Russia. We're not going to do this antagonistic shit with Russia anymore. Uh why do you think he changed his mind? Uh, probably because of, uh, you know, the powers that be in Ukraine uh, having these these ties to, to different governments uh, and wanting to use Ukraine as a as a chess piece, really, in their, you know, the great chess board and all of this stuff of, of uh, you know, messing around and moving towards this new uh, global order that that we see emerging. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, from what seems clear to me. And, and your point, it's always important, like you pointed out before, that there is a tie to that whole agenda from this side of the this side of the agenda. But that doesn't necessarily have to be influencing what's happening in this situation. We should be objective about it. But what, what I think is interesting is that you you can like I said before, that so ultimately we now have the presence, which will end on here, where Russian troops are apparently inside of Ukraine. Now, the, the question needs to be whether or not this was something that was driven into action. And I would argue you could take the situation and reverse it. And say, as you pointed out with Mexico, or even even a fraction of what we're talking about, and the U.S. government would have taken exponentially more action, you know, and that's clear just by their history. So it really comes down to whether or not you personally, as a, out there, subjectively believe what they're doing is the right thing, and that it's ridiculous that we're even in a position where it comes down to your personal beliefs on whether they're the good guy or the bad guy, like we're in kindergarten, you know. And so what I want to point out is some information that people might not have seen. Now, yes, this comes from the Russian news agency, so take that into consideration, but. At all, all of this comes down to one narrative or the other at this point. There's not much evidence going around all this. So well, before this that's war for you. Right, exactly. That's intentional. We saw the assassination attempts being reported of people, in def- former defense ministers or even current officials in the Donbass region. Now, these were all the ones we talked about before. We saw, oh, and this was the point simply I was showing you that Russia came out in November and said, look, we're going to be putting people there as exercises. And, you know, the point is, could it have been a cover for action? Yes. But they came out and said, we're going to do this. And they framed it as if some kind of an impromptu action. Like there's just dishonest, mm-hmm. a dishonest situation around the whole thing. You know, watching them build up around them. It's kind of ridiculous. But my point on top of this going forward was we also saw Ukrainian military deploying things they shouldn't have been, according to Donbass and Russia. There's a lot of narrative that wasn't included in this whole conversation. Right. Um, we'll see. Hold on. I have these out of order. But the point was... Uh, to get into more of the, uh, the what we're seeing in regard to stuff like this. And this is what I wanted to talk about with you in general. That we're having, I'll come back to that. Sorry, these were out of order. It was this stuff right here. This guy is somebody that I want people to try to follow. I'm going to be following up more on this in general. But Patrick Lancaster has been in the Donbass region for a long time. And he has been reporting on stuff that you might not have heard about, such as the fact that on February 21st, there were two schools that were bombed by Ukrainian military. Right. Or the fact that there were airports and other centers that were being attacked or that there were I mean, there's a lot of this stuff that we're not hearing. Right. So go give me your thoughts on this in regard to the, you know, the either side of the story and whether you feel Russia might have been driven into taking this action, as I think we're kind of talking about. Well, and, I think I already said that, didn't I? Then I think right, they were right. it was it was intentional. The decision was intentionally made by people whispering in Zelensky's ear to have him say that at the Munich Security Conference, knowing it would spark this um, on top of all the other stuff that it was going on at that point in time, because, you know. When he made that statement and attended that security conference, things were already tense and people were already, you know, the Biden administration was saying, oh, our intelligence says Russia is going to invade. And, you know, there was all of that at the time. And then someone tells him to, 
you know, make that. St- I don't think he casually did that as a mistake. I don't think that type of thing really uh, happens. You talking about yeah. uh, pursuing nuclear ambitions casually. Um, uh, you, you, I think any world leader with you know, brain cells would know that that would create some sort of buzz if you're going to talk about getting nukes. Exactly. <laughs> um, right. So well, I, I think I think point. that was intentional because I think it's pretty clear that um, doing that, given how Russia has been, you know, their top complaint to NATO has been Ukraine year after year after year and various things related to that. Um, I have, have been, you know, th- they've been pretty clear about what their red lines there are. And then Ukraine being like, well, yeah, we'll just give the Nazis nukes. Well, yeah, obviously I'm paraphrasing because we don't know if Azov Battalion is going to have, you know, the, the nukes themselves. Right. But the idea of them talking about getting nuclear armaments and they're a, a government that's openly hostile uh, to the Russian government on Russia's border getting new. I mean, I don't know. You, you, you could pretty easily argue that that was in Russia's national interest to have that not happen. And so that's why Putin, yes. you know, goes on to say this was about demilitarizing. And uh, from what I understand, most of the casualties uh, were military people. And that's why Zelensky in Ukraine has been very uh, quiet about differentiating between civilian and military de- or combatant deaths, rather, um, in yeah. terms of reporting that uh, that death toll. That's also why they pushed the argument, I believe, of, of claiming we're arming civilians. And like, what's crazy is they're literally talking about giving children and women guns. To fight yeah, they removed the, the a, age limit. So now there's like, fighting for freedom. So no, so right. Can, so now there's child yeah. soldiers and it's being cheered on. Um, no, don't cheer on child soldiers. That's never good. Uh-huh. I'll just say that. <laughs> okay so i well i was just simply saying that the it's 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 a ridiculous scenario to see them argue that's a positive like like we're yeah we're so, we're so charged up for freedom that we're willing to arm anybody but to your point it's like so if that was iran and they were going we're fighting for freedom so we're gonna arm everybody like iranian child soldiers and they're bad if terrorists exactly. and, you know yeah. <laughs> it's like okay so again it comes down to simple choice and subjective nuance you know and it, it's so frustrating i think but. the bbc actually tried that with ukraine and they were saying look at these brave little kids getting ready wow. to fight bad putin uh, and then they took it down after they got uh got some shit rightfully so deserved I, I guess my point would be not so much and, and to your, what you said earlier i agree with like it's obvious that the U- ukrainian government the u.s government other powers are, are trying to poke this into action but my question is not whether that was what's happening i think that's obvious i think it's more about do you think that's in the midst of this so putin at least on the surface was kind of going we're not going to take the bait we're not taking action this is all a bunch of bluster we're sitting in our own country and then suddenly action's taken so my point is do you think that there was not that they were trying to but that there was justifiable action taken by the u.s government by ukraine that would make what Putin did justifiable and not just the argument that we're going to become a nuclear power, but that, for instance, that the bombing of schools, the attacking of the Donbass people, the, the fact that the Donbass region in general on, on bo- both of the republics are basically saying we're being attacked, ethnic cleansing They're They don't respect our culture. They're national they're Ukrainian. Right. So I'm not, I'm not an, an, an expert on, on what's going on in, in the Donbass or what's, what, what's been going on there. Uh, for eight years, but eight to seven years is a very long time to have uh, civilians murdered by what's supposed to be your own government, right? Uh, just, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's very complicated. Maybe they had enough, from what I understand, anyway. Um, they wanted to be recognized as independent by Russia to get some sort of protection, uh, in a sense, uh, because it, it was too much. Uh, that's possible. 
But I'm again, I'm not an expert on that. Um, they have had a lot of civilian deaths. I think that's pretty uh, clear. And the Ukrainian government, we've already talked about the forces fighting in that particular region and how they view the majority of civilians in those regions as subhumans. Uh, it's very problematic. Um, so what? You amazing. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just so, I'm just so. Every time we talk, I talk about that part of it. It's such a like. It hurts my heart. You know, we're talking about people that are like it's it's sort of similar to looking at things like Palestine or other places. Doesn't mean that there's not people in these areas that you could argue are a bad person or so on, but that they're literally being attacked and being ethnically cleansed and be and 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 the world frames them as being the bad guy in the situation. Well, you can just look at a map of Ukraine in terms of like uh, who, uh, uh, who what percentage of of each province has Russian Russian as their main language, and it's these two contested provinces in the Donbass area, and it's Crimea, and those were the ones that right. didn't want to be to to be ruled by this far-right post-coup government in Ukraine. Um, Just think about the U.S. government, like it, how embarrassing it is. That, and so self-determination is a human right, right? That's that's under international law, but it's ignored in Palestine. It's ignored in Ukraine. Um, that's my point. That's my point. Yeah. I mean, the U.S. government's willing to stand up and defend anybody anywhere that wants to depend independence. You if know, it serves their interests. Yeah. Exactly. Like we'll fight for Taiwan because we don't like China, you know, but this is the same difference right. and not even, not even this. I, I go even further. It's not the same difference because over there, well, the point is in this location, we're talking about something where the entire conversation acknowledges that these people don't want to be part of Ukraine. It's not like they're saying, no, that's not true. They do want, and they're lying about it. It's like everyone acknowledges they don't want to be part of Ukraine, but they're just trying to force them back in and calling that freedom. <laughs> it's just, it's embarrassing. Anyway, to, to, to finish up this part of the Ukraine conversation in general, I want to get just go over a couple of quick points on where we are now. And okay, then we can talk well, just about so them. you know, if you want to cover other stuff in the interest of time, you know, okay. Oh, I figured, I figured. As, so as soon as we might want to move on. Take off, whenever you take off, okay. no worries. I'll, I'll, I'll wrap this last part up. Ukraine was really the big focus today, I think, because people really want to hear what's going on. But I want to finish with this co couple quick points that I think are really interesting to me that stood out from today, or not today, but in the last week or so, most of them from today. This one I found really interesting. This was on the 17th. And it's, it's saying that uh, the, the Donbass, the Donetsk Republic opens retaliatory fire in response to Ukraine's army's bombardments. Now, what's interesting is this is apparently the forces of the, of the Donbass region had opened retaliatory fire, according to TASS news agency, to suppress Ukrainian army weapons and protect civilians because what was happening was essentially they were uh, leaving it was, it was basically people were laying down their arms. I'm going to make sure I have the right one here. Oh no, excuse me. I had the wrong one. So this was, this was one from before where they're just simply saying they're attacking civilians, which you could argue they're lying and it goes back and forth. They all say it. Excuse me. Here's the one I'm talking about. This was as of today, Ukrainian, Ukraine's boats attack ships, evacuating Ukrainian troops. So I'm like, wait, what? I try, did I misread that? It turns out what's ultimately happening here is there are Ukrainian troops who decided to lay down their arms and run over to Russia and Ukraine attack them. Like, does that not show you who they are? They're attacking their own people because they're running to the other side. Isn't that interesting? Give me your thoughts on that. Um, I don't really know if I have a comment. I think it kind of speaks for itself and people can draw their own uh, conclusions yeah. from it. But, you know, war is always really uh, sticky. Um, and you know, obviously one side is going to look badly on, uh, members of their own, uh, army that are fleeing, though I believe it's against international law to do, oh, yeah. uh, to do that. <laughs> um, but you know, uh, emotions obviously run high in wartime, but I don't really, you know, I don't have any personal experience with, uh, 
fighting a major war. Um, so well, there's, only ways, there's only one or two ways that can go, right? Either either they were yeah. taken, and then you're just firing on POWs, or they they defected. And you're firing on people because you don't agree with it. I mean, either way. Oh, just, well, I understood they were defecting because I there was an offer um, right. of amnesty from for defectors, as I understand it. Uh, oh from no, the that's, that's, side. that's the story. I'm just saying, like you know, as always, who knows if you're getting the full picture. My point is, there's only one or two ways that could have gone. It's obvious the defectors mm-hmm. is the point, and they're firing people down in the back because they don't want them to defect. That's not what honest people do, right? That's a that's a bad entity doing something like that. My opinion, obviously. But going forward, I, we, we are hearing this big float about the cyber attack level of this, which oh, is just yes. kind of clumsy and muddled. I'm sure you'd have thoughts on that. Feel free and jump well, in. Well, yes, I have big thoughts because, um, and thank you to Vanessa Beely for reminding me of this because I remember, I, I, I think I touched on this in an article a couple of years ago for when I worked at Mint Press still. Um, there was a huge Israeli tech company presence in Ukraine. Major Israeli tech companies outsource a lot of work to Ukraine. Uh, it's a very high number. I forget exactly which, but if you have uh, Vanessa on to discuss this stuff at some point, I'm sure she can give you the exact statistic. Um, yeah, that's very significant. Um, also significant, keep in mind, Cyber Polygon, uh, which has been ongoing um, with the World Economic Forum, is co-hosted with uh, the Russian government and Russian entities. The keynote speech is given by the Russian prime minister and Western governments that are constantly going on about the Russian hacker threat or the Russian cyber attack threat. Uh openly participate that in that American companies openly participate in that. And there's no complaints about the major role uh, with Russia there. Uh, so I think, you know, at least as far as the West is concerned, a lot of the ooh, Russian cyber attack is very uh, hollow and part of this, um, you know, uh, push for, uh, a ma- you know, major war because of great powers competition. And, and, the, and, and ultimately from the Davos end, I think it has to do with this push, push towards this, what they call the multipolar, um, you know, world order or, um, I, there's a bunch of different names for it. Right. But basically it's, um, you know, the U S isn't in charge anymore. So there has to be, uh, something happens to essentially destroy uh, and dismantle the U S empire. Yes. The U S empire should be dismantled. Let's be careful not to, uh, invite in something just as bad or even worse. Um, so if it means, okay, there's, uh, more equal sharing, uh, you know, there's multipolar global governance uh, with, through technocracy. Is that something we really want? No, uh, no, it's not. Um, if you do, okay, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to promote that um, at all. And I think that's ultimately uh, where this is going to go. Um, uh, you know, uh, everything we've talked about, you know, I, I stand by that. I don't really know what Putin's game is here because I don't, you know, he's he, a lot of people. If there's people that have made whole careers about under, trying to understand Putin. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, Putin has given speeches about him being uh, very focused on uh, the Russian national interest and protecting uh, Russian identity, uh, including uh, reli- the you know their uh, religious uh, freedom and all of this stuff, and criticizing the West and wokeism and all of that. And there's some people in alt media that think he's anti-globalist. I don't think that's true because he definitely has uh, documentable ties with the World Economic Forum. Uh, Vladimir Putin, despite what Klaus Schwab has said, is not actually, there's no proof of him actually ever having been a young global leader or global leaders of tomorrow, even though Schwab has made that, made, made that claim uh, repeatedly, but they do have, yeah, but they do have ties um, going back uh, a long time. 
uh, in uh, that article I referenced uh, that Ian Davis uh, that was published that I published of his on on my site. You can find it on limitedhangout.com. Um, he he ta- he goes into detail about those uh, Putin Schwab ties, but he he wasn't a young global leader, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have uh, ties, right? And right. Uh, Spurbank, one of the biggest. Uh, I think it is the biggest bank in Russia. It's like partially or uh, mostly state owned. Um, they, the head of that is on the board of trustees of the WEF. And there's a bunch of uh, fuckery with that guy. Uh, the Sputnik V or five vaccine, mm. um, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of the COVID policy in Russia has been very uh, problematic for those of us criticizing the biosecurity state and all of that. Russia has moved in a very troubling direction, or at least has attempted to. There's also been considerable pushback um, from the Russian population on that regard. So, you know, I don't think um, this is really a, a clean black versus white thing, but I do think in the context of what's happening in Ukraine, um, you know, it's it's not, you know, this is all staged and blah, blah, blah. I don't think that's... Um, that's accurate, but I do think there there could be uh, very easily these forces at work, these transnational forces at work. They're obviously going to capitalize off of whatever happens, uh, but have they staged this from both sides? They, I don't, you know, what's been going on the past eight years in the Donbass and all of that. You know, the people that are saying this is all staged right now, I think. Um, uh, wouldn't have said that a couple of years ago in relation to what's been going on in in, in the Donbass region or the 2014. Right. Uh, no matter what, the right. are very clearly suffering, and that's important not to diminish. But what's on a quick side note that you point out, exactly. five, which is really interesting to me, is that's one of the main ones for those that watch my other shows. Remember, that's one of the 85 potential, you know, the, the, they discussed the 85, the adenovirus versions that potentially increase your risk of HIV. That's one of the ones we were discussing on that show. It's important to remember that. So yeah, that more- was distributed. That vaccine was distributed in Russia by Spurbank, a bank. Right. That has deep, deep ties to the World Economic Forum and subsidiary of them are the people that co-host Cyber Polygon with the World Economic Forum. Well, look at that for those on the show that want, that's that's a huge addition to that part of the story. But don't forget that because the 85 part of this is what I very clearly think is one of the primary culprits in my mind for if we think there's something causing this, that that would be one of them. Because there's a lot of evidence to back up how those not just 85, but adenovirus in general could potentially increase that risk. And those, those that comes from HIV days. Where they're saying mm-hmm. that they're saying they stood up again in the beginning of COVID and said, let's not use these. Right now, as I understand it, there's like four vaccines that are being tested with like 40,000 different test group level populations in Pakistan, Russia, the United States, even all using specifically 85 vaccines. And so that that could be alone what's causing this big thing to happen. But, you know. Well, the, the 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 takeaway here is that, as I said earlier, Russia is really uh, appears to be all in for the fourth industrial revolution and how they've been managing the COVID response uh, or attempting to uh, mm-hmm. before public pushback has been uh, a huge part of that. And at Cyber Polygon alone, you have uh, major figures in, in the central bank of Russia going on and talking about how uh, CBDCs, we're just going to be able to turn off your money if we want to and all of this stuff. I mean, that's the tyranny uh, that we've been calling out this whole time. And, you know, I can't turn a blind eye to it just because I think they're the right side in the Ukraine conflict or something like that. Right. I think exactly. we have to be really clear um, that there's also this, these bigger issues at play um, and we have to, you know, be able to differentiate um s- some of the stuff that's going on uh, at one level from stuff that's going on at higher levels and be able to see the, some of the nuance there. Um, it gets complicated and a lot of people have been really heated about the stuff. Uh, it's mm-hmm. understandable. I mean, it's, um, 
you know, war is obviously going to promote emotional responses, especially when you're dealing with uh, the potential to turn another country into what happened to Syria. Um, That's horrible. That's a huge amount of human suffering. Um, I don't think anyone uh, wants to see that, but you know, uh, the West uh, has a history of cheering that on in countries, uh, you know, when it serves uh, political interests and national security, you know, which they get to define, not the people. Right. right. So well, it, it's just always such a lazy argument. You know, it's it's more nuanced than good guy, bad guy. Right. That's that's your point you're making. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just because one guy, one person might be on the right side of what you think that means. They could ju- they just equally be bad people or fighting for negative things. It, it, we just have to always be considering it objectively. And I think that's the main point before before we <clears throat> get away from Ukraine. <clears throat> excuse me. The last point I wanted to point out, and this is a perfect kind of segue into the COVID-19 conversation <clears throat> is this. Many people, I want your thoughts on whether this might be playing a factor. The idea of U.S. biolabs in Ukraine. and Yeah, it's very possible. Mm-hmm. We've had a lot of conversations about, I've discussed this specifically in the past, about the biowarfare thing. In, in Georgia, for instance, is a huge location separately than this, but in, in the idea that we're talking about a place that the people of Georgia have been screaming about how U.S. manipulation, BSL-4 labs are getting people sick, sort of like Fort Detrick with the, you know, everywhere right around the base and everyone's getting really sick. So it's it's very interesting. So what, do you, what, do, what are your thoughts on that okay. and how that might be a factor? Well, we have to remember back to these stories from a couple of years ago where both the Russian government and the Chinese Chinese government, separate years, though, where they made these complaints, but they made major complaints about the U.S. military specific, I think it was the military specific, but the U.S. government um, Mm. working to obtain samples of ethnic Russians or ethnic Chinese. That's right. um, And concerns that they were being used to develop some sort of bioweapon that was ethnically targeted. There's a history of governments attempting to create these ethnic bioweapons, Israel being a huge one, but they abandoned it um, when they realized they couldn't really... um, it, it would it would kill uh, too many uh, Jews if they were to make one to, that would work against Palestinians. That uh, the, the there wasn't enough uh, different difference between uh, I think Mizrahi Jews uh, that are of Middle Eastern origin and Palestinians to be able to avoid killing all of them instead of just the ones they don't want. It's insane and genocidal and crazy. I'm pretty sure that was Ehud Barak that was behind that. You know, Epstein's uh, best buddy don't, and former Prime Minister forget. of Israel. Don't forget the connection to to currently with COVID. Remember, there was there was I think more than one study that came out that found that, and you could call this coincidence, but that at the end of the day, the COVID nineteen or whatever we're dealing with was more had more of an affinity towards certain uh, backgrounds, and Ashkenazi Jew was one of the smallest affected. And that, that, you know, it's interesting. So these, and that's, that's the scientific study. Mm. You can take that for what you want, but the point is, and this, this was a main, I think it believe it was peer reviewed as well. The point was simply that if we're discussing in the context of these bioweapons focused on certain ethnicities, it's, it's a valid thing to consider it's on top of the fact that remember what happened in Iran, that no one explained this. Remember there, during all this happening, there was an unexplainable, untraceable explosion of something different in Iran right? That came right in the middle of Iran and then bled over into Italy. Remember there was, and I pointed out there was an interesting crossover genetically between Italy and Iran. And that those two had this biggest rise in the beginning of all this. So I'm not saying I can prove anything there, but it's interesting to think that that could be something. Anyway, sorry, I just want to add that. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it's fine. So anyway, back to the biolabs in Ukraine. When did this stuff really start? This is something that goes back to sort of this uh, to the 90s, really, with um, what became, uh, well, I know you you mentioned Georgia right uh, there. If you read uh, Diliana Godstanyeva, I think that's her right. last name, uh, reporting on this, uh, who's really done the best work on this stuff. Uh, a lot of them are called Nun Lugar Centers. That has to do with the Nun 
Lugar Act uh, that was made in the late 90s. And basically what happened is that they went to uh, biolabs, what used to be biolabs under the Soviet Union, and they made them into private or public-private biolabs that worked with Western Big Pharma. Interesting. Um, to do various things. Yeah. And those are none Lugar centers or they have different names now. Some of them. This is important because none is Sam Nunn, Senator Sam Nunn, who played the president in Dark Winter uh, in June 2001 that preceded the uh, anthrax attacks. And then shortly thereafter goes on uh, to create the nuclear threat initiative with crazy depopulation uh, billionaire uh, and CNN owner Ted Turner. <laughs> um, so those are the people that we're talking about. Um, these biolabs were set up by the by that guy, <laughs> essentially, or at least the le- the legislative infrastructure that he uh, introduced and passed and, and bears his name. And and the nuclear threat initiative was involved in a lot of the legwork to set these these biolabs up. And you have other people that had, had top positions at NTI Nuclear Threat Initiative after uh, that were also at Dark Winter, like Margaret Hamburg, uh, mm-hmm. who later became FDA commissioner under Obama and was involved in the whole experimental swine flu uh, vaccine stuff under under then yeah so she was involved in in this crap it just the connection has never ceased to amaze me lots of cycles of fuckery Uh. yeah well the the bio the bio lab discussion is i mean it's impossible to miss so for those that might not have connected this in their minds we're taught these bio labs are the same things we're talking about the bsl4 labs the same thing they pretend they're working on vaccines that we're doing Gain of function research, EPPP research, right? And so, and the fact that we have so many U.S. bio labs in Ukraine, and this seems to be a weird shift, stepping away from COVID to then focus on Ukraine, we have to ask whether there's something going on there. We, I can't. There's no reason other than the fact that they're present to ask that question, and that, that we see COVID being a focal point. But could there be something bigger going on? Well, sure. allegedly, uh, someone superimposed this map with one of the earliest strikes uh, performed by Russian forces, and there appears to be some overlap. But interesting. Um, I don't really know. Uh, Correlation is not causation, but that's a fair point. No, exactly. Yeah, but it's it's something to consider, potentially, when you consider this complaint from the Russian government a few years ago that they're collecting the genetic material of of ethnic Russians and this history of trying to make um, bioweapons that are ethnically targeted by allies of the U.S. and I believe also the U.S. itself. I mean, that's unsettling uh, to say the least yeah mm-hmm. and russia spoke up and during the, the georgia discussion as well and they, they, they've been making this claim for a long time as well as pointing out that they're you know accusing them of carrying out like chemical weapons attacks in places in syria which is a weird way that they started this in reverse where the u.s is like they're gonna do that this time it's, it's very strange how this all went forward but i i think what we should be considering is whether or not there's something going on behind the scenes not to like you know well i do want to point out the U.S. has tons of labs like this in countries all oh, yeah. around Russia. It's not just oh, Ukraine yeah. and it's not just Georgia. I mean, like Kazakhstan, for example, has like a ton of them. This is by them. no means the full picture. And I, I know that as a yeah. matter of fact. But this is mm-hmm. a Pentagon released. De- this is from the Department of uh, De- Defense. So this is what they're willing to point out. And just look at that. It's just Yippee. circling Russia and China. Things <laughs> that could potentially leak out deadly crap that kills off everyone. Good right. job, Pentagon. Your tax okay. dollars don't pay taxes. That's what I say. It's incredible. That's what I don't do. Pay taxes. Oh, yeah. And, and remember, the people <laughs> like Dr. Boyle, who is the who's the drafter of the Biowarfare Act they still use, is the one who says that all these ones in Africa down there, right, that every single one of these outbreaks has been within a stone's throw of one of these labs. Now, you could this is not, this is totally true. 
could it, you know, you yeah, know, that's interesting in the context of um, how a lot of the Ebola crisis of 2014 and in West Africa was used as sort of a test run for a lot of um, entities involved in that were later involved in major ways in COVID-19, including the Welcome Trust, including uh, some of these big pharma companies. Uh, I, I can't remember if it was on your show or somewhere else, but um, I was reading a, a, an article from The Guardian about uh, the vaccine. It was then GlaxoSmithKline being developed in Ebola, and the language to describe it was identical to how they were talking about the COVID vaccines at first. Never before have they been able to produce a vaccine in such a short time, in just a year. And all of that propaganda talking points actually first popped up in 2014. So no, it wasn't the first time when they were saying that. In 2020, they did a test run for all this stuff uh, in in 2014 to a to a major degree, uh, and it's not that far as you can see there from uh, a fun uh, Pentagon experiment place. And I do want to point out that the Pentagon, just in the domestic United States, uh, from 20 I think it was from 2005 to 2011, shipped like ton like a, a lot of anthrax all over the U.S. Ooh, it was an accident. It didn't have the proper protections. It could have gotten people sick, and all of this stuff. Uh, and of course, Fort Detrick was shut down uh, not that long ago because of numerous safety lapses. Uh, and this has been an ongoing problem uh, with facilities in the domestic U.S. So imagine where it is where you know the the threat of potential domestic pushback or um, you know the oversight potential oversight from entities like the CDC or something is is minimal or non-existent. Imagine how that is. You know, I'll just. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a great think point. about it. I want to play this clip here because it just happens to be irrelevant. But like you're so think about so if we're if this is what we're seeing at Fort Detrick within the United States, as you're pointing out, think about what might be happening at these labs around Russia and China. Like they really care about these people. Watch this clip real quick. We have over 1300 documented cancer victims right now, just in a one mile radius. I'll be quite honest with you. It's changed my life so radically. Sometimes I don't even know who I am. 1,300 people in a one-mile radius. What's causing so much sickness? It turns out all these victims have one thing in common. They live next to a military base called Fort Detrick. You know what disgusts me about that? That was like from five, six, seven years ago. I forget the date. You know, and it's just so crazy obvious that there's something going on. Yeah, there could be another example, but literally nothing. And th that was so long ago. And people, this guy, if you watch that documentary, it breaks my heart. This guy's like talking about Justice Street. And he's like on every single house. She's got cancer. She's got this. Her daughter died. Like every single one of them. And in a short period of time, it just, yeah. it's incredible to me. And it's not just Fort Detrick. There's lots of people that exactly. uh, live around U.S. military bases that don't even specialize in what Fort Detrick specializes that That's suffer from that kind of stuff because of pollutants or Superfund sites and also the veterans themselves who, for example, uh, were forced to take the anthrax vaccine. Uh, a lot can be said about that that caused a lot of problems for a lot of servicemen or also forced to work with toxic crap. Um, either abroad or domestically that, that gave them horrible diseases. Um, you know, the U.S. Yeah. military has an incredibly toxic legacy. Uh, I wrote about this uh, several years ago for Mint Press. They're the biggest polluter uh, in the world. Uh, it's it's just uh, mind-boggling, uh, the environmental and uh, damage they cause and the damage to public health um, that they do. Um, yeah. It's it's nuts. Um, of course, it's not exclusive to the U.S. military. Other militaries, obviously, uh, do uh, engage in this type of behavior as well, but not to the degree or scale the U.S. does. And um, as far as I know, they don't do such, uh, they don't treat their uh, servicemen that become sick so poorly. Uh, I think that 
right. you know, it's the U S wins, crazy. wins right. that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not our fault. You're crazy. It's something else. You know, that, that's, that, it's, it's an ongoing situation that we have a lot of articles on T-Lab about that. The, the biggest polluter in the world, hands down, U.S. military, hands down. And on top of that, talking about the things that they take care of outside of the United States, like burning waste that causes some- Yeah, the burn pits things. and stuff. God. And they well, know- Well, then it, supposedly Biden's uh, like own son died because of the burn pits and he is president and won't do crap about it. He's gonna, instead going to launch his war on cancer. We can talk about what that's really about. Sure. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's cancer is obviously weirdly connected with what's going on with these injections and COVID. My brother, funny enough, just sent me a text today that out of nowhere, cold call, he doesn't even really use CVS, got a text to his phone from CVS that says, hey, you might want to get this or this to treat cancer or get an tr- injection for cancer. I'm like, what? This is getting crazy. Like, they're just like cold, cold calling you and be like, you want injections today? <laughs> it's like, this is crazy. Anyway, to, wow. to, finish up, to finish off this last part here. It's really interesting to see this overlap. And I think we should simply ask whether or not there's something more going on that ties around COVID. I wanted to point out a lot of things that we've talked about on this, on this platform from before. Remember this in this conversation, the U.S. Army has openly admitted before all of this, mind you, now it's being actively probably scrubbed. They've committed, admitted to conducting hundreds of germ warfare tests on Americans, hundreds, 239 germ warfare tests in locations across the country. And, and this is, we're talking about things like Operation Sea Spray, testing on Americans without them knowing. That's admitted to, which blows yeah, my mind. Yeah, the UK has done this too. Porting down in the UK has done the same crap. It's not, you know, this is a, a major issue. Right. Or or the fact mm-hmm. that even Fort Detrick has admitted over the, before, again, before pre-COVID, admitted to what was, I think it was one leak every three days for seven years straight. Think about how disgusting that is. They work with coronavirus and Ebola and then weird how we have this weird outbreak and that goes right before COVID. And there's all these questions we should be asking. But here's the same. This is the San Francisco one I was discussing. Operation Sea Spray you should read about. Here's another one. Korea. Yes, the United States did use yeah. biological weapons on North Korea. It's important to understand that. Or here's one that I think you you can talk you could uh, comment on if you'd like the, your your article head of the head of the Hydra the rise of Robert Cadlick this is from 2020 and just the tie and, and this is the background around the anthrax and and the the building of this program and it's just obvious how much there's this is this is like before COVID right building up to where we are and people aren't willing to ask these questions you know if you wanted to comment on that otherwise we can jump into some other things. Um, mainly the main thing I'd point out with Robert Cadlick for people that aren't familiar with that is that this is the guy that was in charge of the entire U.S. COVID-19 response. Um, and he ran the Crimson Contagion simulation a year before COVID that was simulating a pandemic, uh, coming out of China, spreading on air, airplanes, uh, to countries around the world. And just a lot of, uh, insane similarities. All, um, Leave it at that. And this is the guy who previously, um, it, the name Dark Winter derives from what he says in that exercise in which right. he participated. And he became, uh, after 9-11, the top biowarfare advisor to uh, Wolfowitz and Rumsfeld. And then the Pentagon gets involved with the anthrax. And he had been working with the people that, in, in my series, I point out, were most likely involved in um actually producing the anthrax it wasn't brufibans it was most likely a uh, battelle in west jefferson ohio um at a lab run by ken alabeck uh, who was a cia asset and working with this guy william c patrick the third who uh, held a bunch of classified patents from fort detrick um and was heavily specialized in, in anthrax specifically um 
And there's a lot of reasons for that that I can go in the article. But then after that, using the anthrax attacks as pretext, Cadillac basically constructs the office that he would later hold under the Trump administration when COVID began that gave him all of the power to direct the COVID response. And that includes uh, the vaccination campaign to a major degree, Operation Warp Speed and all of and all of that stuff and, and a lot more as well. Um because uh, he that's the assistant secretary for preparedness and response under uh, HHS. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. and that we discussed that in depth on, on multiple shows we've had about yeah. the about how important that was about the he was the sole person in in charge of being able to decide how much and what they stocked and so on, which by the way, don't forget was an obvious, I mean, that's a good point thing to make right point to make right now. Is it remember Crimson Contagion? What did they find at the end of the day? We're unprepared. We need more supplies. We need more PPE. We need more, right? Then and 201 later, what do they find? We're not prepared. We need more supplies. We need more of this. What they do? None of that. Right. Think mm-hmm. about how ridiculous that is. So it's really never about being prepared. It's about seeding the narrative in your mind that we're not prepared. Right. That's what that's really about, as, as far as I can tell. Uh, or this guy was the most incompetent person of all time and never listened to any of the things he put on for that very reason. It's obvious, in my opinion, that this was about prepping people. But as well as the fact that he was involved with the vaccine administration. Uh, uh, um, choosing which ones and stockpiles and so on. Monsef Salawi ties into that. I mean, we, I r- highly recommend that you watch read Whitney's work, a limited hangout T lab, as well as some of our shows, because it's amazing. I really am baffled how far ahead your work was on this around Monsef Salawi and the background there. And, and uh, people like Robbie Martin as well, in regard to the history of the anthrax and all of that, as much as I will argue, some of these other people in independent media have kind of, in my opinion, lost their way when it comes to COVID-19 today. There's still a lot of background there that's very, very important to me. Anyway, to so you brought up Mansaf Salawi. Can I? Uh, are we yeah. ready to change topics? No, no, jump into it. I'll t- okay, I, I want to talk a little bit about the guy um, who's now in charge of the FDA, Robert Calif. Have you right. covered him at all? No, no, on your show. Okay, so a lot of people were criticizing him, right? Saying, "Oh, he has lots of money invested in big pharma. That's the conflict of interest." This is all true, and obviously that's bad. But I mean, that's par for the course in U.S. politics and these appointments and all this stuff. Oh, they have a conflict of interest with the government, the industry they're supposed to regulate. I mean, that's (laughs) that's how you like that. That's been going on for a really long time, and so I think people really missed the big story with Robert Califf. Um, I was hoping Jeremy Lafredo, I sent him a lot of my uh, research on Califf that he was going to put an article together, but I guess he's uh, been tied up with stuff. So I, uh, I might as well just talk about it. So um, basically Robert Califf isn't just important because of his investments in big pharma. This guy ran Google health. He used to be in the FDA and then he got put in charge of Google health and the Google subsidiary, uh, he had a major role in the Google subsidiary Verily and also something called Project Baseline of Google's Verily. Project Baseline of Google's Verily is a huge study uh, mainly used with wearables and sensors to monitor healthy people and see how disease progresses. Wow. Uh, yeah. Wait, no, just wait. Just wait, Ryan. They were the people in California doing all the COVID-19 testing and amassing genetic data on Americans, specifically in wow. poor neighborhoods for a long time. They got kicked out of some of them, uh, stealing their genetic data, essentially, or having them uh, sign up for their COVID-19 test with their Google account, linking the genetics uh, obtained through their test those genetic markers to their Google account, their Gmail, their Google search history, their YouTube search history, all of this stuff. Robert Califf, not only does that, he's also a big part of the Verily GlaxoSmithKline joint venture Galvani Bioelectronics that we've talked about a lot that, of course, involves Monsef Salawi. Califf is part of that. 
what's critical here is that the FDA isn't just involved in approving vaccines and and medicines and supplements and whatever and all of this other stuff. Medical devices, wearables. Under this guy, we are going to see a huge push for wearables. It's going to happen. Uh, that's the next thing. I, I, that's my pr- big pr- prediction for the next 365 days is that we're going to see the the big uh, push for public adoption of wearables. And remember what people that you know whisper in the ear of these 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 big guys like Klaus Schwab say about wearables, it's the line uh, to a digital dictatorship when they get this stuff on your body. Okay. Uh, so don't do it. But Robert Califf is going to try. And at the same time, uh, we have the Biden administration's war on cancer, which is all about uh, mRNA tech getting uh, not just that now that mRNA tech has been normalized to move on to CRISPR gene editing medicines, of which there are many companies, including the Bill Gates backed Adidas, uh, that's run by uh, George Church, Epstein funded crazy eugenicist scientist guy. I uh, remember until recently, uh, the, the Office of Science and Technology and the top science advisor to Biden was Eric Lander, uh, also a, you know, of that same flavor of Epstein funded eugenicist adjacent, uh, scientist who was creating the health DARPA. Yeah, but he was creating the health DARPA, ARPA H. And that's the main thing about Biden's war on cancer is to create ARPA H. Harpa. It used to be called Harpa, and people were like, ah. Uh, yeah, apparently, they thought putting the H at the end uh, makes it sound less like DARPA. That was Trump's. That's, that was what v- v- Ivanka Trump was trying to push. Yes. It, right? Yes. Yes. Right. And she was doing it. She was doing it to monitor social media posts of regular Americans for early signs of neuropsychiatric violence. Wow. And now it's Biden is creating the same thing, saying it's to fight and cure cancer. It doesn't really matter. It's the same shit. And it, it, a lot of it comes from has been mapped out by a former DARPA director, Jeffrey Ling, who basically ran a lot of transhumanist programs for DARPA um, and Bob. Right, who's the former head, I think, of NBC Universal and, and is really good friends with Trump, which is why um, that began under the Trump administration. But now Biden is pitching us essentially the same program as a way right. to cure cancer. Okay, Jeez. so it's not to cure cancer, it's the way to push in uh, this new wave of fourth industrial revolution medicines, uh, which is you know, it, talking about the Great Reset, the Great Reset is essentially forcing thing, every sector of our lives into the digital realm. Okay, so, you know, like an all digital financial system, uh, the CBDCs, you know, it, it, every every sector has it. And this is the big push for medicine. But it's through medicine they're making their big push for transhumanism. Because remember how the fourth industrial revolution is described by people like Klaus Schwab. It's the merging of our physical and biological and virtual and digital identities, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so that they're going to do that mainly through medicine. And it's through this gene editing stuff, this nanobot stuff. Because remember... This bioelectronics company that Califf is part of, I guess he'll be recusing himself as head of the FDA or whatever, but this is his wheelhouse, okay? It's not like just regular old big pharma corruption. Uh, This guy is going to hammer through all of this uh, transhumanist stuff posing as, as new medicines. And uh, the, the Biden administration's totally on board, and we ignore this at our uh, own peril. It's not going to fight cancer, though. I do want to point out there's this new study, right? I'm sure you. Uh, I don't know if you've covered it because it, it, I think it was just today or yesterday uh, that it came out. But this university uh, in Sweden, Lund University, uh, talking about the Pfizer vaccine and how it can uh, integrate itself into the uh, the DNA and have genotoxic effects. Genotoxic effects are likely to cause cancer. 
and you have this war on cancer. Oh, uh, are we going to see a spike in cancer cancer, uh, cancer cases and have people uh, get super freaked out and scared and run into all of these uh, new technologies saying they can treat cancer quickly and painlessly? You don't have to do chemo um, uh, or saying they can prevent cancer, which they've done before. Uh, GlaxoSmithKline's uh, Gardasil, for example, though it's dubious if that actually prevents cancer or not. Um but I mean, that's essentially, uh, that could really happen. And we need to uh, avoid these medicines because obviously a lot of people aren't going to just, if, if they're healthy, sign up to be like, okay, crazy people, gene edit me. Uh, yeah. You know, they have to be scared and they have to feel like they're going to die if they don't do it type of deal. So will they, um, is this what will happen? We'll see. Yeah. Well, on, on that note, I'll, I'll point to these like the idea that co- the, the, there's 50% of people that take these injections are having what's called dip, dysregulation of the immune system or lymphocytopenia, which could lead to cancers. And the point is that if you're u- giving something that causes that and they use the same thing to then treat the thing it's causing, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? But uh, right. on top of that, the other one I brought up was simply the one you were referencing there. I'll include this we can talk about. But I wanted to make a point about please don't miss the two-party illusion crossover like you point how Ivanka Trump pushes in over here for something different and you know it's it's always like that and it crosses over and I might as well play that since you referenced it it's only a minute long about what he is actually saying and I always want to point this out about how what Klaus Schwab has been telling you is that during the fourth industrial revolution and he talks about it back then pre-COVID as if it's some distant futuristic idea and he's saying, when we get to that future dis- distant idea, that's when you're going to blend now. your, well, yeah, right. You're going to blend your biological idea. And, and that was before. And then it got real quiet for a year. And now we saying, standing up. Now we're in the fourth industrial. We're in it right now, except yeah. not telling you the other part of it. So listen to what he's saying from both sides. What the fourth industrial revolution will lead to is a fusion of our physical, our digital, and our biological identities. The difference of this first uh, industrial revolution is it doesn't change what you are doing. It changes you. If you take a genetic editing, right. uh, just as an example, it's you who exactly. are changed. Yeah. And of yeah. course, this has a big impact on yeah. your identity. Yeah. It is important to use the COVID-19 crisis as a timely opportunity. So people assume uh, we are just going back uh, to the good old world which we had um, and everything will be normal again in how we are used to normal in the old fashion. This is, uh, let's say, fiction. It will not happen. Um, the the uh, cut which we have now um, is much too strong uh, in order not to leave traces. And I've played that for people many times. I mean, it's just incredible to see how even before this, he's like, we're never going back to normal. Don't delude yourself about that. And we still pretend that's not true. You know, it, it's just incredible to me. Now, one one more point in, or just comment in general. I know we've gone way past an hour and there's plenty more to get into. So please, if you have to take off, just let me know. I don't want to you know, make this problem, problematic situation. And he's but, being super cooperative. So it's it. all right. I'm telling you, the truth or in the making. He's all about it. I'm <laughs> telling you. But I wanted to talk about this. Uh, as we oh actually one last point over here that i thought was really neat that i wanted to show to shout out oh actually i did have a couple other points that i forgot real quickly to rattle this stuff off 
that so where we are at the end of the Ukraine conversation for people to understand is that we're seeing other reports about more stuff happening inside Ukraine. We have the argument that he has pushed into Ukraine, but our, our discussion was simply about how whether or not there's been actions that have justified that being necessary. And that's something we should be asking, not the, the full picture there. But then realize at the same time, right, while all this is happening, guess what? Israel's also bombing Syria. Now, why isn't that a problem? Right. It's amazing that everyone's losing their minds. Because they do it all the time. Well, that too, but doesn't make it any less of a war crime. No, of course not. But people are desensitized. You know what I mean? Exactly. But it's and just they never cover it when it happens. So blatant hypocrisy. Right. Mm-hmm. And here's what she says. Western powers, while chirping about upholding international law, while remain silent about their Israeli ally, repeat violations of it. Right. <laughs> Great account to follow if you haven't seen Sarah Abdallah. And to your point, it seems that we're about to at least take action to try to disconnect Russia from the SWIFT system, which will be a huge action. This is it's like your point. It seems like they're trying to drive this to war. That's what it seems. Mm-hmm. Then finally, if you want to, if you want to lean into the, this is all an illusion discussion, <laughs> look no further than Sean Penn arriving in Ukraine to film a documentary on the Russian invasion while it's apparently happening. Totally not. <laughs> it's just, I look as much as yeah. I can. Vanessa that- Bealey did a great series for my site a while ago about Sean Penn and the CIA. And I would recommend people go to check it out. Uh, so it's they know what, what what's going on here, huh? It's just silly to me. I mean, look, it's it's I, I I'm in, absolutely convinced there's actual action happening. This has been driven into action, and people are taking action. But what's funny to me, as I said in the beginning, this was built on nothing but bluster and hype, and three months of it's about to happen. You know, it, it's just the fact that he steps in during this to film it. I'm like, yeah. oh, well, come on, we gotta start I, asking that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it, you know some of these CIA guys uh, that we talked about earlier wanted this to happen and it got pushed to happen yes. at a certain point by forces over there on that which, side yeah which in no way is to un- diminish what's been going on for eight years and there's absolutely real stuff happening there just that it is being played in a lot of ways and finally Zelensky accepts putin's proposal ready for peace talks yesterday you know it's just it, this is if this was even remotely what they were framing it as do you really th- it's just i don't know it just this seems like a desperate attempt to over dramatic you know make it more dramatic than it really is in the context of what they want it to seem like and how invasion and all this different stuff when it, I don't know. I just want to make sure people see where it currently seems to be resolving to. And lastly, but it seems like your point, people are trying to drive this into continue to being a problem. It seems that Germany now says it's going to be sending a thousand tank defense weapons and 500 ground air well, yeah. missiles to, to Ukraine. So there, this is being well, driven into action for sure. I mean, NATO's going to do everything short of actually getting involved themselves uh, to try and support their uh, allied regime in Ukraine. Oops. I think that's pretty um, obvious, but unfortunately, just means what we said before Ukraine's going to be like, you know, they're trying to make it another Syria. Right. Um, and the biggest losers there are going to be people living in Ukraine. Yeah. Well, finally, on the Ukraine point, I thought I want to give another shout out to Swiss Policy Research. I, I was really proud the first time they did the media discussion and they made sure to include TLAV as, you know, center and not connected to power, which was the, the place of honor, in my opinion. But they, they updated it from a from COVID to Ukraine discussion, which I found really interesting about how basically making the point that a lot of the people that were independent before and center are seemingly not taking the like taking the bait on Ukraine. It's really interesting. But yet again. T-Lab is included alongside some really high profile people. I just thought that was pretty cool. And they're shouting us out again as being, you know, objective around this whole thing, which I think is great. So that's nice. Thing to point out. Mm-hmm. Now to jump over to COVID-19, I wanted to start with some things we just covered and really just get your thoughts on this. Oh, and I wanted to point out, we just discussed the digital to implantables conversation. I hope you'll check out in what Whitney was just discussing. I'm telling you, it is a clear timeline from digital wearables to 
Yeah. Implantables. I mean, it's, it's coming. Crazy. Get ready for the wearable push under FDA head Robert Califf. That's what he's there to do. And that's exactly what he's there to do. He's literally the Google health guy. He's there for a reason. This is Silicon Valley. This is the beginning of Silicon Valley's big push to take over healthcare. Eric Schmidt said they were going to do it in 2019 uh, and it's happening and it's going to happen. Uh, be vigilant. Um, the other thing that's interesting here, uh, I guess you're talking about the the Moderna having this, yeah, this stuff patented in 2017. Uh, that's also the year they had to uh, abandon all their mRNA therapies and go into mRNA vaccines exclusively because uh, the multiple dose therapies that they had were trying to, to make that were their, their big cash cow uh, were damaging the liver uh, specifically right. in, in, in people. It was the lipid nanoparticle. Uh, or at least relevant. that's what they blamed anyway. Yeah, I, I think that would be relevant to what you uh, mentioned a little bit ago. Yes. Well, we're gonna, we'll get into that. There's an entire study about specifically vaccine-induced liver failure. So it's very interesting that you connect that. So my, the point is, if you have any comments, I just think it's incredible that this is... By the way, if you didn't watch the show, this is a huge important topic. No, th this is a very clear peer-reviewed study that finds that a, a, patent, a, a patented sequence in COVID-19 or excuse me, a sequence in COVID-19 is verifiably patented in 2017 by Moderna. Now it's possible that it could have been randomly occurring, but they make the argument in there that it mathematically is like next to impossible. But it's, I mean, it's, you know, it's a mil the, the, I, I forget the breakdown, like 30 something to the 32nd power or whatever. It's like, it's very, very slim chance that it could have happened organically. So okay. it's amazing. where is that in the mainstream press? Okay, Ryan, uh, I just thought of something here. Okay. So you're this tweet you were showing about the Lund university study saying that puts uh, some of the sequences for SARS-CoV-2. Is that the spike protein specifically? Is it, yeah. it, I'm wondering if this patent of Moderna is related because if it's going into the DNA of people, this sequence that Moderna potentially patented, that sort of mm -hmm. ties in with stuff you've talked about before about these efforts to sort of uh, patent humans um, sort of own genes right. of people and right. stuff like that. That would be really crazy if there's a commonality uh, there. I hope people I look see, into that. I see your point. So like as once the spike protein integrates with the DNA, then you're essentially patented by Moderna. Or so something in your DNA is now, you know, under patent of a company. It, yeah. it, some people have warned about this for years. And I remember you playing a clip on your show about it a, a couple times um, that this is sort of like what Monsanto did to plants. Oh, uh, right. you don't you didn't buy our seeds, but the Monsanto plants on the uh, next lot, the pollen came in and got into into wow. the DNA of your plants. And so now we own it type of deal. <laughs> Um, oh, and funny. people were warning about this happening with people back when the Hino human genome project started and which by the way, uh, Eric Lander, who I mentioned earlier was one of the, the main guys behind. And, uh, by the way, the human genome project was dreamt up by Walter Bodmer, former head of the British eugenics society when it became the Galton Institute. They Man. changed names again last year. Jeez. <laughs> I can't believe I haven't really thought about that in a strong way. Like I've discussed this crossover for a while. But the idea of the GMO discussion and like the seed and being able to say we now own your farm because the breeze blew it in there and discussing that in the context of whether that could happen to humans. Well, this is me with my tinfoil hat on, right? Like, I don't know if uh, even if, if Moderna actually if there's commonality between the sequence that this study found was being integrated uh, and what was patented by Moderna. But I think people should be looking because there have been people in the industry warning that there were efforts by companies to do this to patent yeah. life itself, including parts of the yeah. human genome.
That, well, this is a let's really see. important point. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, let's see. Yeah. But well, I'd I mean, like to know if there's a overlap there. Today, the job. There we go. Sorry. I wanted to have that. I'm going to play that at the end. But so, but so that's that clip you're referencing. But what, what's so interesting to me is that this is a very valid, this is a conspiracy theory at all. I mean, if, you, if you're really taking a scientific stance on this, it's exactly the same thing. I mean, if you're really, it's semantics. You're talking about at a cellular level, being able to patent what it is and saying that, well, if you can prove by this patent or, you know, within the realm of this patent, if you meet that criteria, then you are patented. So whether or well, not you want to pretend, go ahead. This is, this is starting. What I talked about how, you know, now that mRNA tech's been normalized, they're going to go to uh, CRISPR editing, direct right. in vivo gene editing. And there's all these medical startups that do uh, expressly that. And now they're admitting that uh, the mRNA vaccines uh, do uh, mess with your genome. That was a conspiracy theory before. Now it's conspiracy fact. And oh, well, those vaccines weren't a big deal. So why not just sign up for the CRISPR stuff? Uh, and then we have all this stuff of, oh, well, it turns out your genes are patented now by X corporation and, you know, blah, blah, blah. What will they do with that? Oh, sorry. Uh, I might have to go change a diaper. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Mm. You did a good job, though. Thank you. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if you go, let me know. I can just keep keep going on this. In well, general, I'll, I'll but... tell you. Don't worry. It okay. seems like after that, he, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, like sometimes babies uh, uh, do a lot of uh, work and then they, uh, you know, sort of veg out for a little bit. <laughs> right. Uh, so I have a couple minutes, I think. But I'll have to go soon, yeah. Okay. Well, but I think what's important to point there, there's already this argument trying to come back around and be like, well, the spike protein is not dangerous, it, despite like the peer reviewed, like the Salk Institute coming out and very clearly, and like a, six other peer reviewed studies. So it's almost like they don't want you to think about that because the spike protein itself is clearly the focal point, while also clearly being the biggest part, of the the problem. So I find that very right. very revealing. Go ahead. No, I, I was agreeing with you. I wasn't trying to interrupt. Okay. Sorry, I just did delay. But so, but so let's let's bring this further into uh, the conversation of oh, actually, right here. This is where I want to start in regard to COVID nineteen. There's another point that I wanted your thoughts on that we've talked about in depth, and this is the idea of the of the self spreading vaccine, right? So here's the show we just did, and this was entitled. Everything seems to be freezing on me. Um, let me know if in the chat everything's still working. It's uh, it's called the Omicron, the self spreading vaccine, at least in the first part of it. And so I want your thoughts on this, because what's really interesting to me is we're seeing all this conversation now. I mean, here, here is the Daily Mail as of February 21st, even though we're being censored for calling for discussing self-spreading vaccine as if it's a valid topic. And here they come out days later after we're censored as fake news and saying the vaccine that spreads immunity by passing itself on like a virus. I mean, it's just it's so funny. You know, and they're literally mm -hmm. discussing the same thing. So my question for you is your, give me your thoughts on self-spreading vaccine and whether you think that might be in part what we're dealing with right now, or whether that's something, I mean, they're openly going in that direction, right? And on actually on that note, let me just play this first part of this. So you can see this as well. Since the outbreak of COVID-19, the word virus has been dominating media headlines as well as our daily lives. Did you know that one approach that has been proposed to control virally transmitted diseases is by releasing a virally transmitted vaccine. Okay. In the interest of time, in case yep. baby's not cooperative, there's something I really want to tell you. So yeah, I recently on. did a um, a podcast on this this guy named Rafael Uste, who's a mm -hmm. Spanish-American neuroscientist. 
Um, he's using Chile as his test bed and it's being a test bed for all sorts of stuff. So right. one example, uh, the Chilean legislature passed not that long ago, a law prohibiting people uh, from being required by their employer to show if they've been genetically modified as mm. human beings. That's a little weird uh, yeah. to put into law, but another one is about this neuro rights, uh, the right to not have your brain hacked uh, by neurotechnologies. <laughs> And this is the guy that developed the brain uh, initiative brain being all caps. It's an acronym for something else. This was, this was dreamt up by him and George church specifically. Uh, What does Raphael Uste do? Well, first of all, sorry, I got a little fussy guy. So the brain initiative is like DARPA. It's the CIA's DARPA, IARPA, the NIH, the national science foundation. That's the public side. The private side is Facebook, Apple, Google, Microsoft, all of these guys. Right. So that's that's basically who Raphael used works for. He currently works for the Allen Institute, which is uh, the philanthropic medical research organization created by Microsoft co-founder Paul Allen uh, before he died. OK, um, mm-hmm. Raphael Uste's studies involve injecting mice with a virus that doesn't cause any symptoms, but transcribes DNA and genetically modifies the neurons of the mice it's injected into and allows Raphael Uste, per him, to use lasers and other means of inducing hallucinations in their brains. What's the end game there? Like, what, what are they trying to do? I don't know, do? but it's literally a gain-of-function virus injected that, that can be injected wow. into mammals and make them have hallucinations. And this is a guy going around trying to protect people's brains right i mean because every other argument is well we're doing this to make a vaccine to protect you or like that's just like we're not even we don't even care about the narrative anymore we're doing this to mess with your brain well remember it sounds like what are the main justifications for gain of function experiments it's to make vaccines or to learn interesting biology which you have to be a crazy person to uh support uh Sorry, one second. I'm trying to mollify my uh-huh, little man for a little bit. Give me a few more minutes. <laughs> um, anyway, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So he's basically trying to say um, uh, basically what his whole neuro rights thing is about is creating the the legal infrastructure to have uh, the commercial market for brain-machine interfaces uh, and non-invasive versions of that same technology that read and write until the brain um, become uh, public, uh, publicly available. And they're piloting this in Chile, um, what, along what with a bunch of other shit. What is uh, Raphael's last name? Uste. Uh, Y-U-S-T-E. Okay. He looks like a, a weird uh, elf man. <laughs> so if you see someone fitting that description, you'll you'll know you found the right one. <laughs> um, yeah, well, yeah. It's, very, it's very very interesting to me how it's so clear that there's the, every single person, like the same way you point out Monsef Salawi in the beginning, every single person involved in this agenda has overt connections to where they're going with this. Matt Hepburn and the Implantables, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Undeniable. And yet we just choose not to see it, you know, and it, it, it's incredible. It but- sounds too crazy, but I mean, they're, they're rolling ahead with it. So it can keep being crazy to you until everyone but you has a brain chip. Right. Whatever. Well, but in, in Chile, it's messed up because this is all this, all this stuff going on, all this test bed stuff in Chile right now is all tied to Microsoft and Microsoft under COVID announced transform Chile plan. That's what they call it. Transform Damn. Chile. Um, in Chile. 
Uh, yeah, but run by Microsoft and uh, some of the telecom companies because it's also the pilot for uh, 5G and 5G related technologies in South America at the same time. A lot of stuff's going on. It's also the most vaccinated country by far uh, in yeah. South America, um, especially kids. Uh, it's crazy how many people have uh, have done it. Um, I mean, it's like 12 to 17 year olds. It's like 90 percent have a third dose. It's, it's wild. Uh, and uh, yeah. three to three to 11. It's like it's like 86 percent have three doses. Wow. Uh, and, and for every, all the adults, it's like 92 per the government. You can believe them if you want. But I honestly, in yeah. my personal life, know like three people that didn't get it, including myself. <laughs> Well, to, to interest of time here, I, the, the, we can. The point with this was just to get your thoughts on Omicron and that. But let, let's jump to the point that I think the main point of the title today, and we can pretty much end on that. I just want people to research this and understand this is also what's coming. It's not the idea of self-spreading vaccines have been put forward by Johns Hopkins studies long before COVID nineteen, and we're and not, not not animals, human versions of the animal discussion, and that's very real, even though they don't want you talking about it. Mm-hmm. Let, let's uh, let's finish with this discussion of the liver thing, because this is an interesting crossover that I'm glad you picked up on in regard to this discussion, right? Because even in this study, you can see that we're talking about inhuman liver cell line, right? Mm-hmm. Here is something I want. First of all, just this quick point, Children's Health Hospital denies teen a, a kidney transplant over vaccination status. So some, sort of the inverse. So almost, I would argue, a probably a positive thing for some people here. But here's what I'm finding. Here's some hepatology liver transplantation following SARS-CoV-2 vaccination induced liver liver failure. Now here's the full study in the interest of time. We won't go in depth, but the point is that it's pretty sound. And what they're getting into is that they find pretty definitively that there's no, there's no other indication. There's nothing else happening. And and, and it happens more in more than one case. And here's another from 2022. Which vaccine is this specifically? Is this Moderna or Pfizer? Uh, I believe. Or is it both? Yes. Both of them were both. Okay, so remember what I said about Moderna in 2017? Yeah, yeah. So the same lipid nanoparticle technology is also used in the BioNTech vaccine. And they Mm -hmm. knew years ago that that caused uh, toxicity in in livers. Oh, yeah. Our audience is well aware that nanoparticles by themselves, right? And just in general is a huge issue. mRNA by itself. All these things have shown to cause all these problems on their own and then add the spike protein. But yeah, this is the point that you and I've talked about before. And I still, every time I say this, nobody has explained why this makes sense. One of the biggest hinders to making this work the first 25 times they failed was the toxicity of the lipid nanoparticles. And the only way they could make the mRNA deliver is by increasing that, but they, they didn't work. They have to stop. So here we are where they never solved that problem. And all they did was increase lipid nanoparticles. And they say that in their documentation. That's how we got it to work. And now we're watching the side effects again, just like the other times. It's amazing to me. So your point is the liver was a big focal point there. And so was the spleen and the reproductive issue. Yeah. They abandoned anything that wasn't one dose because of that. So everything that's more than one dose they knew then would cause it. Yeah. Yep. And here we are pushing three and four and five, you know, it's incredible. Now, here's an interesting point, right? Brooke Jackson shared with me. So this is an this is actual documentation from from internal documents of uh, these cohorts, and this is from these different Ventavia research group locations. Now, what you're going to find uh, looks like this might have refreshed on me. I hope I still have it in here. Oh shoot, I have to grab it while we're looking. Hold on one second. There was uh, basically discussions of the liver part of this. Let me see. Hold on. Shoot. I knew I was going to, these refreshed on me. 
anyway, so I'll keep giving you, well, let me just jump to the next point. And I'll find this and circle back. Oh, wait, here it is. Shoot, I apologize. Now, the point is these are these are trial documentation from internal documents from during the trials of Ventavia, the Brooke Jackson is the insider on this. And they discuss finding exactly these problems. So I'll come back to that and you could comment on this as I find it. But here's another study, liver cell damage. And this is specifically, oh, this was in real, oh, this is perfect. Here it is. This is the word I was going to find. Just apologize for the disjointed nature, guys. One second. Here is this. Shoot. Maybe that's the wrong word. Oh, guys. Know what's in here. Yeah, I got the wrong word. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to waste any more time on that. But the point was, for those that want to watch me try to fumble my through this, is that th this is just discussions of liver cell damage, and it discusses heptocellular injury. And the point is somewhere in these documents, if I had it the right place, from these documents, I'll, I'll cover this in a show coming up in the near future, they found exactly that. In one of these people in the Ventavia research group during these trials, the problem is that they just discounted it as something else. But the point is we're now finding that there are clear examples of this happening. So you can give me your thoughts on that if you want, and then I'll, I'll give you some last final points here. Uh, the clinical trials were fraudulent, basically, and for Pfizer and Moderna, I mean, we can pretty much um, prove that now. Uh, Brooke Jackson's obviously made it very clear, uh, the case in the Pfizer trials. Uh, my uh, reporting on Moderna should make it clear for Moderna, uh, because they literally said, uh, well, the, their corporate affairs officer of Moderna literally said that what was safety tested as the Moderna vaccine by NIH is not the same as the Moderna vaccine that's on the market right now. They literally gave them a different for per, per, per Moderna executives and the NIH didn't say anything. Mainstream media didn't say anything. And this was first reported in Forbes. Uh, by the way, the Forbes contributor that reported that uh, doesn't work there anymore. Uh, so I guess he was a little too close to the mark. What, you know, row. Wow. That's what happens. <laughs> Every single uh, time, it seems. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I'm having so, trouble finding this, so I'll definitely circle back and let you guys see this. And I'll make sure I conclude on a different show. But what, what's, what's incredible to me is that they can do that, that they can switch these things out. And it's not, and, and, that, and that doesn't matter. I mean, this is, by the way, exactly what Brooke and I discussed in our interview when she first came out with this and she's been entirely vindicated actually on this very interview she we show the documentation that proves that they're lying about what she's saying and still it just we have to recognize how incredibly controlled and manipulated the mainstream of all of this is from the media to the politics like all of it unless if, if that wasn't the case then things like this would have been bombshell news the entire mainstream apparatus is controlled there's no other way around it and we even followed up in a pre in a second interview and went deeper on this and proved more stuff about how they, after the fact, she guys leaked documents that show that they, after letting, getting her out of the way, went back and tried to cover up the things they said weren't happening. Like all this is documented in our source material. It's incredible. And that speaks to the trials themselves. Yeah. And, and so I, I want to point out something here that doesn't get brought up a lot. The fact of mm -hmm. the precedent this sets for things in the future. I mean, mm -hmm. they essentially now like the FDA can force through all of this uh, gene editing CRISPR stuff. Yeah, with the same sort of shady fuckery that went on with the COVID-19 vaccine. So it's not just about the COVID-19 vaccines. I mean, think whatever you want about them, okay? But it matters if those trials were done poorly 
and no one cared. And, and this type of behavior is, is ignored and, and not, there's no right. accountability because it's going to be used again. They're going to do this again and they're going to do it with other stuff and it's going to be Agreed. not good. This is happening right as they're trying to launch in a huge way, this new generation of tech-based medicines. It's going to be a nightmare. Um, I agree. I agree. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's especially with CRISPR talking about like the advent of cancer right. and all of this stuff. I mean, CRISPR has been shown study after study to cause major uh, genetic damage. It's not as precise as they say. So many studies show this. Um, right. Exactly. But there's so much venture capital that has been invested in the startups that they that they they just can't turn back. And it's like a eugenic eugenicist dream. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. I think that's a huge part, probably the most important part of it. But I also just think they don't care. I just, I think they genuinely just don't care how many people get hurt as long as they achieve some discernible benefit. Yeah, they're, they're, they're yeah, mm -hmm. I, exactly. Well, a lot of these people that are really into eugenics also think the world is too populated. So oh, right. eventually we'll get our perfect human, you know, uh, that's, that's Gross. their perspective. I mean, they, they um, view all of this in very, uh, what I think for the regular person is very disturbing. They they have a very disturbing worldview for, <laughs> I agree. and that's probably being quite nice. And and we and even consider that some of them may have convinced themselves that they think this is for some gross greater good, you know. And it, I don't think that's most of them. I don't think most of them even care. But some of them do. Like some of the middle rung upper level people probably have convinced themselves that they're doing bad things for good reasons. Well, at, at, at the World Economic things. Forum, at the World Economic Forum in 2020, they framed this as it's not about natural selection and evolution anymore. It's about creating life by according to our intelligent design. Yeah. I mean, these people are trying to play God, basically, and think exactly. they're gods. Uh, I mean, it's this crazy at, delusion of of the elites, honestly. Look at the great narrative, for crying out loud. They literally called this last section the great narrative. Derek covered this. We talked about it. And they're like, what is this? Yeah, and, and they have a mapping out now. narrative. And then we're going to execute the narrative. I'm like, oh, you unelected people discussing this? Is that not literally conspiring? I mean, for crying out loud, they're yeah. openly walking through what we point at. And then we point at it. They go, you're a crazy person for pointing at it. Happening. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, to, to end on this last point, just to make it interesting, but a great conversation, Whitney. Thank you so much for taking the time, especially with everything going on. I think this is pretty interesting to me. So Pfizer, if you hadn't noticed on the 14th, just out of nowhere, tweeted this out. Now you may think, oh, well, they're trying to sell a drug or they're worried about this or they're, you know, but no, none of that, no context, no follow-up. It just simply says deep vein thrombosis, a blood clot and deep vein can travel to the lungs. It, it, it goes on to say symptoms can be this, can be that. Contact your doctor. Okay, you click on the link and just learning more about the problem. Okay, so why in the world would Pfizer put a tweet out about this? First of all, before I even get my thoughts on it, why would they tweet about this? If there's not a connection to a drug, if there's not, they're not just some altruistic group that wants to help you stay healthy, right? So here's my point. I said, you know, just your casual nod to one of the most serious effects of their injections right now, tweeted by Pfizer, yet with zero indication of why it was tweeted out. <laughs> You're being manipulated. What do you think about that? Are we sure that they don't have some sort of drug on the market that, no, that's, that that's would be my point. like a blood thinner or something that, like that? No, that's not my point, though. Not, it's not, I'm sure they've got something. My point is the tweet does not link to right. that. Even the, the learn more links to a page where it's just discussing what the vein thrombosis is. So if they were actually trying to sell something, they would have linked to it. Well, yeah. Okay. So people have sort of said that Pfizer's been positioning themselves for, for some uh, unfortunate for them 
news coming out, like them yes. putting that yeah. stuff in the, their SEC filings, saying right. that, oh, there may be some disclosures that negatively impact our business. Yeah. Uh, it could have to and do they, with this. And if they, and then, you know, if there's a, a pushback, they can point to a tweet like this and be like, well, we did try and warn people. Right. That's kind of something like that, you know, like a yeah. ass covering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the SEC documents were very clear as well. I mean, they try to make it as boilerplate, but if it was boilerplate, why wasn't it in the first version, right? I mean, it, it's it's silly. They added all this stuff that basically gave them an out to say like, well, you know, we're fair. Uh, so it's, again, it, these are, as I like to end, it's subjective, it's theoretical, we're looking into the future, but the point is that that's really weird to me. And, I mean, and right now, by the way, this the, the VITT or just thrombosis in general is literally one of the largest things that they're de- de- dismissing that is happening with these injections that they're actively talking about not happening. So even if it was a drug, they're going to tweet about yeah. it. While they're but but it, this could just be, weird. yeah. Well, this could also just be sort Great. of like the same thing that mainstream media is doing where they're like, all this stuff causes blood clots. And you're like, what? You know, yes. they're like, yes. um, heart attacks. Yes. it's like a new thing every day is causing heart attacks and sort of like normalizing it. I mean, this could just be part of that. honestly because it's 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 seriously like something new every day will give you a stroke or a heart attack you know uh that didn't before like uh, having having an alcoholic drink it could give you a heart attack be careful um you know uh, sitting down too long it'll give you a heart attack be careful uh you know i I mean the list goes on and on and on of stuff um that they say now could raise your risk of a stroke or a heart attack or something or specifically in young people and all of this stuff and there was some commercial in in britain of some young girl running and she falls and has a heart attack like they're trying to normalize young people having all these cardiovascular problems that are usually for people with type 2 diabetes uh or people with uh weight problems or some other sort of issue that used to be the more at risk you know obviously that risk profile has changed a lot uh in the past uh you know Yep. few months or years or so mm-hmm. yeah i agree completely i think they're you know or the one the most humorous one i saw which was really ridiculous is saying you if you vigorously shake your duvet or your your bed cover that could cause a heart attack i'm not that was wow. literally the headline and i'm just going like that's in that that's just stupid but all of this is why in the world i hope, I hope they make anywhere? an ngo to protect people from duvets ryan that would be good. <laughs> right Right. Get that. Jesus. It's just so comical and stupid. You know, yeah. it's why anybody anywhere right now would be taking at face value the arguments, the narratives, the claims, the intelligence apparatus of any statement from politics, from mainstream media is beyond me. I mean, look, think of it like this. How can you, as, a, as let's just say a Republican, laugh about how stupid Russiagate is the entire time from any side of this? And yet then the moment that same apparatus stands up and says, Russia, Beijing, blah, blah, blah. All Russia's of them are Hitler, yeah. At mm-hmm. face value, it's like, like I'm not saying it's not true. What I'm saying is, when the government or the or the media stands up and says this is something, trust us. Narrative behind it, you can't see. The first thing we should think of, well, that could be false. But All right. So, really quick, I want to point out that a lot of uh, the narratives, not by you and not by people, you know, that that we regularly work with, right? But uh, some people who have been countering COVID-19 narratives have actually sort of primed their audiences for this sort of a cold war or big war narrative saying, this is all China's fault. Okay. Right. So right. in the event that Russia and, and China uh, team up or something in the event that this, this spreads and gets bigger, you're going to have a huge contingent of people in the anti-COVID narrative uh, group 
uh, that are going to be like, well, uh, the Chinese are the masterminds of the social credit scores, and they're the strings behind the World Economic Forum, and they're the people doing this and that, and if we take out China, we'll get our freedoms back. Uh, while, you know, all the governments are really working together to establish yeah. uh, technocracy as a form of domestic control in their respective countries. That includes China, that includes the United States, and it goes on and on and on. Uh, pretty much every country is doing that right now to some degree. So, um, you know, people are going to be played. And so I think that's why it's very harmful uh, to have these, you know, for example, a lot of people were sharing around this uh, recent interview on Joe Rogan, some, uh, I don't, can't remember his name. Uh, he's a British former extremist who made some think tank or something. And he was talking about um, digital identity or something. And he was basically saying, this is all China. And then that's the version of, uh, you know, the, the digital ID narrative uh, that's allowed on Joe Rogan is only if it's, (laughs) if it's blaming China. I mean, this is, this is not good. It's obviously um, (laughs) um, problematic and can be easily twisted to, uh, get people to be gung-ho for a major power war when ultimately all of these countries are on board with technocracy. Um, so you're yeah. going to get technocracy no matter who wins your war. Your QR code and your digital ID uh, are what will eventually come out of World War III. Uh, Riley Wagaman on his Substack, stack, uh, Edward Slavscott, had a great uh, piece about how World War I uh, was used to install what was supposed to be a temporary international passport system. And we still have right. that system today. And exactly. if you think about it, every time there's been a major change to uh, the socioeconomic order, uh, there's been a war. Right. So uh, the the central bank in the U.S. Federal Reserve, you know, coincided more or less with the aftermath of uh, of of World War One and World War One. And then World War Two, you have the Bretton Woods system um, and the and subsequently the petrodollar is established and all of that stuff. Uh, And then you have uh, now they're trying to totally recreate everything. The Great Reset, central bank, digital currencies, uh, everything is about to change in a big way. And they probably see if they can't usher in with COVID, they need some other sort of major disruption that'll get people to fall in line. And if COVID's not doing it in Western countries, More. what are they going to do? And um, I actually talked about this possibility back uh, in Thanksgiving on the Tim Dillon podcast saying like, well, when they can't get what they want uh, through uh, one way and uh, they, they start to feel the heat and their narrative fails, uh, they take people, they take the world to war. And that's right. why, you know, um, I think, uh, What I was saying earlier, I think it was really uh, the West and specifically intelligence agencies in the West that pushed this Ukraine situation to where it is now. I think we can speculate about what their reasons were for doing that. But I think a big part of it was probably failing COVID narratives. And in those particular countries, they were getting too much pushback, taking away people's civil liberties, using COVID as an excuse. But historically, war, uh, your civil liberties evaporate really fast. (laughs) I mean, uh, what happened in World War One in the United States was literally insane. I mean, you had a I wrote about this for Mint Press, and I can't remember the exact names of the groups. But you had like de- deputized vigilante groups going door to door and like arresting people deemed to be loyal to the Germans, uh, huh. putting them under arrest and stuff, and like just crazy shit was really allowed then. And the censorship was really <coughs> sorry. Uh, well, little man was in the in the hospital earlier this month, so he's uh, still recovering, but he's been doing pretty okay. But he has a nasty cough still. Yeah. Yeah, poor little guy. Um, but uh, what was I saying? Sorry. Well, no, it's you know. okay. <laughs> if you don't remember, I was just going to say that uh, in general, what I, that sounds like to me is 
we're t- the, the QAnon Russiagate kind of scenario, right? The whole China argument, the the one side of it, you know, that, that you, they allow you to feel like you're involved in what's really happening, but from one isolated angle and you trick everybody back inside the narrative, right? So if the idea is go after China to get back freedom, you know, and that is framed as fighting the COVID it's narrative, yeah. it, it leads to because, the same direction. You're still supporting yes. the same imperial agenda. Yeah, look at the history of of China's technocracy and you will see groups like the Rockefellers and people that came from the West uh, putting that in there and using basically China as a a testbed to create their technocracy. That article I mentioned earlier on by Ian Davis on my site, it it does a great overview of it. Go read it. It's, uh, you know, you're not going to get rid of of technocracy and social credit scores or digital IDs by taking out the Chinese. Plus, you know, the way this uh, world war set up, if it does come to pass now or later or whatever, or they succeed in actually starting it. Uh, it. It's not really the West that's slated to win this. And that's by design. They're trying to move the Davos crowd and all of that want to move towards this multi-power thing. That means the end of the existing international rules-based order dominated by the U.S. economically and militarily. Um, and this is being done with the complicit, uh, the U.S. leaders are complicit in this. Western leaders are complicit in this. Uh, and, you know, China and Russia, obviously, it's in their national interest to have this go through because, you know, to have uh, the U.S. not be the hegemon is in their national interest. I think that's that's pretty obvious, but it's not really them pulling the strings here. You know, this the, this is groups like the World Economic Forum, and it's not just the WEF, okay? You have, like, Council of Foreign Relations, you have Chatham House, you have all of these groups that do this stuff and actually make the policy that governments implement. Uh, you know, and so the, the discussion becomes who are the people making the policy there and getting it into action. And you look at these board of trustees on groups like the WEF or something, and you see people with positions of political power, but you also see heads of groups like uh, BlackRock and, you know, and Capital. And it's really all about follow the money at the end of the day. And if you look what the bankers are up to, the bankers are gung ho for a crazy control system that spans the entire world. And if you look at the countries that are implementing central bank digital currencies or exploring how to do that right now. It's pretty much every country, regardless of whether it's more aligned with Russia or China or more aligned with the West, uh, everyone's doing it. And uh, that's a control system. It's not a financial system. Um, And, you know, I talked to John Titus about this. Catherine Austin Fitz with John Titus has done great work on this as well. It's a a control system. You can't even call it money. It's a way to control you. Okay. So every country in the world is pretty much on board with that shit. Even Iran's doing it, right? So, like, you know, it, it really falls apart this narrative of nation state versus nation state at, at that point. But I think some of these countries that, you know, like Russia, for example, working in its national interests, working towards that multipolar quote unquote world order is, is in their national interest. Cause then the right. U S isn't the hegemon anymore. And, you know, and doing what control. they're doing in Ukraine right now is in their national interest. And, and right. It gives so more control over their own populations. And I always argue that is what it really, that's what the to. state does though. Right. Well, so right. I'm an anarchist. Haha. So I'm going to be saying that anyway. Okay. No, that's, that's, but that's the, point, though. that's the reality of the situation is that historically speaking, whether anarchism or not, is that ultimately any center, any power ultimately slowly centralizes and you have less, you know, yeah. and this is history, right? So what we're staring at here, and this is my point about good guy, bad guy being irrelevant. And the same reason yeah. why I argue, there's I no good guys. Don't have any right. heroes in I, politics. I 
kinetic <laughs> kinetic war, in my opinion, is sort of a thing of the past. It doesn't mean it can't happen. It we just I don't ever see it really exploding into the kind of thing we saw in the past. I think it's more of a means to an end for the larger. You know, when you have aircraft carriers that could just decimate an entire country from the from hundred miles away, it doesn't seem like it makes sense. But that's just my perspective. But I think what it comes down to is that Russia wants this because it can control its population because they're a government that wants to control people like anybody. But it doesn't mean that they don't have their internal vying things like Ukraine that they're yeah. Well, they, they, of course over. they have internal issues. Uh, every country right. does. Yeah, and they also have you know USAID and the National Endowment for Democracy right. and stuff for years have been backing groups to to screw over, you know, Russia. Uh, they do it in Mexico. They do it in Russia. They do it in, in pretty much any country that, you know, uh, they feel like doing it, they do it, right? So, you know, maybe that's part of the motivation. But ultimately, it's because uh, the state uh, wants to maintain, you know, it, it's like continuity of government in the U.S., right? right. It all, all That's what the state ultimately cares about. They don't want to be removed <laughs> from power. They want to maintain their there. power. and. Uh, we're moving into a really crazy era of uh, scarcity. Uh, of course, it's, you know, I would argue it's a manufactured scarcity because they're trying to move us into this fourth industrial revolution or whatever. And people won't go willingly uh, because it's obviously neo-feudalism. So you have to sort of herd uh, the people and you have to get them uh, desperate uh, and scared and cold and hungry. And that is what they're going to try and do, uh, especially to the European and Western population. So uh, we've said it before. Uh, if you are in the West or really anywhere, uh, get in control or start building a parallel food supply, economy, whatever. Um, what's happened in Canada about the freezing of bank accounts should be a huge wake up to get in control yes. of your own money and build some sort of parallel economy. Um, because as, especially if you plan on dissenting any of this because you know uh what happened in canada is really insane and should be a huge wake-up call for people and they're trying to make that right. shit permanent like anyone that protests us we're gonna freeze your bank account take your money out of the bank i mean your mattress is safer uh than your bank at this point um right. just saying I think that's a good place to end on. I think that's exactly where this needs to be. You're talking about the state trying to maintain its power, you know, buying, have, buying agendas. They'll do anything. Other. They'll right. do anything to stay in power. And that's and, what and this is ultimately about. And that's every government. Exactly. And that's, that's yeah. the point, right? That's what I want everyone to leave with this is thinking about this. Forget the two party paradigm, forget the uh, seven party paradigm in UK, whatever the different parties are in the UK, they, forget the fact that there's different parties, but it ultimately amounts to the same goal, even if they're vying internally amongst themselves. It's all about the, they want to maintain their power structure because they're in that power structure, even if within that they fight each other. That's what this comes down to. And we desperately need to see that if we're only going to throw it against China or on the alternatively against Russia, you're being aimed at the same thing from different angles from the same ultimate. Exactly. And isn't it convenient in the U.S., the establishment left has been trained to hate Russia and the establishment right has been trained to hate China. It's How so convenient. juvenile and naive. Yeah. I don't know why we still think this makes sense. And it's so plain and obvious from all the things we've seen throughout history. Just walk away. Take, I hope people can listen to this show and walk away thinking objectively about how these things can happen. It's not mutually exclusive, right? They, he can be doing this and pushing into Ukraine and it can be for a justifiable reason or vice versa. Like we have to think about these things. Simply as simple as that going into the COVID and going into pull, pulling us into this. Yeah. It's not just mandates, right? So people that are against mandates need to see the bigger picture here. You know, 
There's a lot more yes. going on. And if the vaccine yes. mandates are lifted and the mask mandates are lifted, don't go back to sleep because you're going to wake up exactly. in a hellish tyranny and exactly. uh, going to war isn't going to help it. It's going to help the same people that have always benefited from wars historically. And it's not you. <laughs> yeah. Well, as you pointed out. And the real is war is on us, right? So what we were talking about earlier to wrap, to bring this back full circle about Ukraine being used to justify the war on domestic terror at home and white supremacy and all of this stuff. The real war going on in the United States is against its own people. And it's right. been well, like as, that. As mm-hmm. I was going to say, as you pointed out before, the, the, the war is in your body. The new battle, the, your body is the new battlefield. And that's that's the, the difference. Mm-hmm. I think that's where it's aimed. And to bring this into the end here about this clip, you know, it's interesting that this is where this all has been aimed and all the even the war, all these different kinetic actions and everything around the world still seems to be driving and at least creating the context to push us into this very direction. So we're going to end with that clip in regard to how they are seemingly trying to drive it, patenting everything, including you. So thank you for being here today, Whitney. It's always fun to talk with you. We're going to try to do this more <laughs> as I understand it. So let's let's the more the more the better. I always love talking with you. All right. Awesome. Thanks. It was good to be back. Special thanks to my little guy for uh, being so sleepy today. (laughs) That was really helpful. New part of the T-Lab team. Welcome. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you all for being here. And as always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. Building this nation geographically is completed. There are no new frontiers within our borders. So to what new horizons can we look now? Where are tomorrow's opportunities? What's ahead for you, for your children? The frontiers of the future are not on any map. They are in the test tubes and laboratories of the great industries. The Jacobardi case was one of the great judicial moments in world history. And the public was totally unaware it was actually happening as the process was being engaged. General Electric and Professor Jacobardi went to the patent office with a little microbe that eats up oil spills. They said they had modified this microbe in the laboratory and therefore it was an invention. The patent office, the U.S. government, took a look at this, quote, invention, and they said, no way. The patent statutes don't cover living things. This is not an invention. Turn down. Then General Electric and Dr. Jacobardi appealed to the U.S. Customs Court of Appeal. And to everyone's surprise, by a three to two decision, they overrode the patent office. And they said, this microbe looks more like a detergent or a reagent than a horse or a honeybee. I laughed because they didn't understand basic biology. It looked like a chemical to them. Had it had an antenna or eyes or wings or legs, it would never have crossed their table and been patented. Then the patent office appealed. And what the public should realize now is the patent office was very clear that you can't patent life. My organization provided the main amicus curiae brief. If you allow the patent on this microbe, we argued, it means that without any congressional guidance or public discussion, corporations will own the blueprints of life. When they made the decision, we lost by five to four, and Chief Justice Warren Burger said, sure, some of these are big issues, but we think this is a small decision. Seven years later, the U.S. Patent Office issued a one-sentence decree. You can patent anything in the world that's alive except a full-birth human being.
We've all been hearing about the announcement that we have mapped the human genome. But what the public doesn't know is now there's a great race by genomic companies and biotech companies and life science companies to find the treasure in the map. The treasure are the individual genes that make up the blueprint of the human race. Every time they capture a gene and isolate it, these biotech companies claim it as intellectual property. The breast cancer gene, the cystic fibrosis gene, it goes on and on and on. If this goes unchallenged in the world community, within less than 10 years, a handful of global companies will own directly or through license the actual genes that make up the evolution of our species. And they're now beginning to patent the genomes of every other creature on this planet. In the age of biology, the politics is going to sort out between those who believe life first has intrinsic value and therefore we should choose technologies and commercial venues that honor the intrinsic value. And then we're going to have people who believe, look, life is simply utility. It's commercial fare. And they will line up with the idea to let the marketplace be the ultimate arbiter of all of the age of biology.